Using gerrymandering, voter suppression, and other nefarious tactics, the Republican Party has manipulated our electoral system to maintain as much control as possible despite being a party in the minority. Liberal Dan Radio seeks to change that, and I need your help in doing so. Liberal Dan Radio has partnered with Levelfield to help us use tools that are typically only available to big money donors. When you go to StopTheCoup.LiberalDan.com and make your contribution, it will encourage other voters to reach out to their legislators to pass legislation to stop gerrymandering and voter suppression and target elected officials who refuse to protect the vote. Every eligible voter should be able to cast a ballot, and that ballot should have the same power as everyone else. I can't do this alone. I need your help. So please go to StopTheCoup.LiberalDan.com and make your contribution today. That's StopTheCoup.LiberalDan.com. StopTheCoup.LiberalDan.com. Political advertising paid for by Levelfield. Contributions are not tax deductible as charitable contributions. Join the conversation. It's area code 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. Uh, if you want to join us in the chat rooms, you can either go to blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan, sign up for your free blogtalkradio.com account, go to the episode page for this episode, and the chat room is at the bottom of the screen, so you can join us there. Or if you're watching live on YouTube, you can always uh, leave your comments in the YouTube uh, live chat as well. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to hit that like button, smash that subscribe button, make sure to follow everything that we do here on YouTube. I'm trying to create more content for y'all. Uh, so this is going to be a good way to do it is to uh, support the show that way. If you're listening after the live broadcast, you could always leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc. over on the show thread at liberaldan.com, facebook.com slash liberaldan at liberaldan radio on Twitter, or you can leave your comments on the YouTube thread as well. Um, at, again, at the bottom half of the hour, we have scheduled to come on uh, House Sparks, and that's going to be a very interesting, uh, very fun uh, part of the program. I'm very much looking forward to it. But first, this week's headlines. The Winter Olympics have been going on with limited crowds, beca- crowds because of COVID. Russian skater Camilla Valeva was found to have trimetazidine, bleh, trimetazidine, spell that one, uh, in her sample she'd given for testing. Valeva was allowed to continue skating despite testing positive for a banned substance. Shakari Richardson, on the other hand, was not allowed to compete after they found a banned substance in her test. If I did two hypocrites of the week, the IOC would be the second. The House Select Committee on January 6th insurrection has issued six more subpoenas over Republicans sending fake slates of electors to Washington to try and circumvent the will of the voters. The party who bemoans election fraud all the time sure likes to commit a lot of it. The right-winged media is complaining about the silence about the Durham probe because they believe it exonerates the Russian collusion claims against the Trump campaign. Of course, a simple search of YouTube 
will show Trump begging and pleading for Russia to find Hillary's emails and that they would be greatly rewarded for it. But they don't want to hear about that. No news if there's going to be a Dunham probe, a Dunham probe, or if Peanut is involved. In health news, a stem cell treatment has possibly cured a woman of HIV who, after removing herself from HIV medication, still shows as being HIV-free. But, of course, it's stem cells, so the Republicans will have a problem with it. The manufacturers of the gun used to murder teachers and children in Sandy Hook settled a multi-million dollar case this week pertaining to the gun. Hughes said that if one owned it, they could be more manly, because that's exactly what you want to equate the use of a gun with manliness. That all encourage proper gun usage. And truckers are still filling the streets of Ottawa, despite an emergency being called and bridges opening back up. Speaking of the trucker standoff, this week's hypocrite of the week is Fox News' Tucker Carlson. Tuckums previously lauded the Florida law that made blocking traffic a penalty and gave immunity to people who drove through crowds blocking traffic. Now, not only does Carlson support the truckers who block traffic, he's selling shirts to profit off them as well. To see who next week's hypocrite of the week will be, tune in to Liberal Day Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. Of course, the protests are about closures and mask mandates and vaccines. Data has shown that the amount of kids hospitalized for COVID during Omicron is four times higher than that of the Delta wave. But they're still going to keep on trucking or, or not. Uh, Super Bowl 56 was held in L.A. without any visible trucker blockades, as was threatened by some. Unfortunately, the Rams won, and of course, they had the help from the refs. And of course, the halftime show with Snoop, Dr. Dre, Mary J. Blige, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, and 50 Cent got the typical response from the geriatric old party. Finally, in gaming news, Wordle and its 17,000 clones have taken over the internet. The New York Times even purchased the game, promising to keep it for free despite everything else in the New York Times being behind a paywall. Of course, the nerd that I am, I am playing a bunch of them. So you can follow my Twitter page at Liberal Dan Radio, and you can see my daily Wordle scores and perhaps some others as well. And that was this week's headlines. You know, one of the things I find interesting about the whole uh, thing with the truckers, and we'll go into a little bit about that after the break, is just the fact that, you know, <clears throat> they they wanted they they were so angry at the Black Lives Matters protesters. They were so angry at them for inconveniencing them. Of course, the inconvenience in quotes that one might must deal with as a person who is black in this country uh, of just walking around as a person who is black in this country is much more harmful to people who are black in this country than the inconvenience of not being able to make it past traffic. Um, so it was all a big, you know, they, you had people saying that you should be able to run over protesters that, that, that if, if there was a, I heard many conservatives like, well, if I was going to be uh, if I was going to be a, uh, block it, have the road blocked by several protesters for Black Lives Matter, I would just run them over. They don't deserve, they shouldn't be in the road. And if they didn't want to get run over, they shouldn't be in the road. Okay. But, you know, now 
blocking the roads are fine as long as it's for something that they support. So it's really not about the road blocking. They're not, it, they always show themselves to be mad. At, they, they claim that they're mad about one thing, but it's never the one thing. It's, it's always the other thing. And it's the thing that you expect. It's always, they're always just mad about at black people for something. It, it, it's, it's not about the blocking of the roads. It's that they're, it's why they're blocking the roads. It's, it's the fact that they're blocking the roads because of, you know, they, that they want equal treatment by the police. You know, it's not that the roads are blocked. Because the roads are blocked in Canada, they're cheering that. Look at the Super, Super Bowl halftime show. Eminem takes a knee. There was no Pledge of Allegiance being said or flag being raised or anything being done to honor the country or the troops. It was the middle of a rap song. But Eminem took a knee. And conservatives blew their lids. Oh, there he is, blowing, kneeling again. Because it's not about the kneeling. It's about what the kneeling is for and what the kneeling represents. And, and, and that the fact that if they're going to be mad at the kneeling from, or it's not, it wasn't about the flag. It's never about the flag. It wasn't about supporting the troops. It wasn't about patriotism. It was the fact that they were, t- that they, he was daring to speak up against the injustices that are done to black people and other persons of color in this country. And they don't want to hear it. Just like the whole problem with critical race theory. They don't, they don't want to, they don't want you to knock down their, their monuments because you have to remember history. They don't want you to rename streets because you have to remember history. Uh, but then when we want them to remember the, the rest of the history, like, you know, the fact that Black Wall Street was bombed in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the fact that we have redlining in this country, the fact that we had, you know, that, that we had a policy of separate but equal, uh, the fact that we had so much uh, disenfranchisement of non-whites in this country for decades, for centuries, two centuries, uh, that, and it still goes on in many forms. But they don't want to hear about that. They don't want to hear that history. They only want to hear their history. Anything else that makes them uncomfortable, uh, which is usually the truth they don't want to hear. Let's see. And anyway, let's go ahead and take the first uh, commercial break. We'll come back and take your calls as well. 914-803-4131. That is 914-803-4131. This is Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right. Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do, but BudgetEars is geared to help you make the best decision for you. 
So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. In a world gone mad, one progressive will do a bad movie trailer guy impression to get you to listen to his show. There's only one thing that I like better than the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. All right, Bill, that's enough of that. On the Liberal Dan Radio minicast, you will hear an honest discussion of the day's issues with some personal bits in between. You might even hear what the other side has to say, sometimes even in their own voices. So become one of the Liberal Dan family, because family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. To hear those bad impressions and more, tune into the Liberal Dan Radio minicast. Talk from the left, that's right. And I think to myself, what a wonderful show. Mmm, yeah. If you enjoy Liberal Dan Radio, there's many ways that you can support the show. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can like me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter or TikTok. And you can become a Liberal Dan Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can get a shout-out. Higher levels get the opportunity to vote on what I do next on the podcast, the minicast, or on YouTube. You can even buy commercial advertising or sponsor bits. So go to patreon.liberaldan.com and support the show today. Hey there, podcast listeners. This is Demonox, host of The World According to Knox. It's time for Season 2, where I take you on another trip through my world. The world of movies, video games, pop culture, and more. Relate them to the world around you. Don't forget to leave a question for Marscat and find me on Twitter by the handle xdemonox. Letter X like X-Men, D-E-M-I-N-O-X. Now enjoy the rest of your podcast. And welcome back to Liberal Dane Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's area code 914-803-4131. That's 914-803-4131. Uh, I want to go ahead and give a shout-out. Again, you heard the commercial, but give a shout-out to Debonox, uh, Brian, the first Liberal Dane Radio Patreon. Uh, also, shouts out to your boy Chris and to Cesar over on the left coast. Thank you all for supporting the show uh, at some point we'll be making the uh, special first round of uh, liberal day and radio master debater t-shirts i think we're, we've, we're settling on that you might also have og on the sleeve to show that you were an original uh, member of uh, original supporter and anybody who signs up now as a liberal day and radio patreon uh, will be considered an og as well i'll have the cutoff somewhere i don't know where uh, but it'll be somewhere. Uh, it'll, it'll be a limited time shirt uh, that you can get. Uh, also want to give out a shout out to uh, my little brother, the host of the most Nimbus Yosh with the smooth sounds of the Percy podcast. Um, <clears throat> hopefully there will be a, another one coming soon. Uh, hopefully there uh, will be another, uh, another one, uh, another podcast coming soon from uh we're recording Knox as well. Uh, hint, hint to Brian in the chat. We need, we need some more of that too. Uh, let's, let, let's hear it. 
<laughs> Let's hear some more of the world according to Knox. Yeah, I like using the left coast. It's, it's uh, kind of, re, you know, sometimes the conservative type folks will, will often confer, refer to the West Coast as the left coast, but it pretty much is because, you know, California, liberal, and yeah, Oregon, Washington, liberal, and the parts of, especially of Washington State and Oregon are that are liberal are the leftmost parts of those states. It's that you could have, like, if you cut the states this way, uh, you would have a liberal state and a conservative state, but they cut the states this way, and you get two liberal states, which, you know, I guess it's its own form of gerrymandering, if you will. Remember, if you want to stop gerrymandering, and, and conservatives are, are – uh, um, House Park actually did have a tweet about that that what we might talk about uh, with um, with him when he comes on at the bottom half of the hour uh, about how the fact that you know it seems like they're they're complaining about that in New York apparently New York is re redrawing districts and drawing two conservatives out of their districts and conservatives don't seem to like that. Hmm. Sucks when it happens to you, doesn't it? My ideal is that it shouldn't happen to anybody. My ideal, specifically, I would I would prefer moving away uh, from uh, moving away from uh, congressional districts altogether because they've outlived their usefulness. You don't need congressional districts anymore because you can cross the congressional congressional district rather quickly. Uh, you can cross the state rather quickly in most cases, and you could do better by electing slices of candidates. And if you have you want to make a slate and be like you know liberal Democrats or leftist progressives, so, you know Democratic Socialists from like San Francisco, you could create that party. But if anyone in California could vote for it, if they felt that that was the people that best represented them as well, so you have to be from that from that area. But if you wanted to make this is my say, hey, we're going to focus on issues that are left leading or whatever, and we're also going to focus on making sure San Francisco is, 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 is an example is represented, then you could do that if you wanted to, um, you know, or, you know, you might have other causes that might, you know, Hey, we're, we're going to be caucusing with the democratic party and we have these causes that we're going to support it. Or you could, you could divvy up the support by cause instead of divvying up the support by random or arbitrary lines that are invisible lines drawn across the state. And in reality, you know, in my in, in my video series when I did the six seat states, uh, I I, uh, I talk about um, Louisiana and technically, if you look at how Louisiana voted for president, Louisiana should have two Democratic seats in Congress, but we only have one. And the, of course, the Republicans aren't going to draw the seats and give the Democrats an extra seat. Seat, uh, you know. They're not going to do it, not one, not at all. But if, but if you really went to a slate system, you know, you might have like two Democrats elected on a slate, but then you might have a second, another like Democratic slate that's like, hey, we're conservative Democrats, we're we're the moderate type of Democrats who might be right wing on certain issues. You know, the, the people that what would cause like a John Bell Edwards to be governor. John Bell Edwards is a Democrat, governor of Louisiana, but he's also pro-life. He signed a horrible pro-life bill, anti-abortion, anti-choice bill into law. Yeah. But that being said, 
he's, you know, on the left of a lot of other issues. And he's clearly much better than the options that were running against him the last two times, especially in the runoffs. You got David Vitter, the whoremonger, and, you know, look, and we don't slut shame on Liberal Band Radio. Sex work is legitimate work, uh, according to my podcast. It's in my opinion that if you want to, you should be able to, you know, you sell your body when you work uh, as a trash man or if you work as an attorney, you're selling your body for anything. You should be able to sell your body for sex as well. But the hypocrisy of David Vitter and being such a moral person, yet getting caught with hookers, that's, that's the point there. Plus, you had what, Rispone, the guy who was like a little mini Donald Trump wannabe. He, uh, he was, was not ready. So note those races. That's why you had a Democrat win in Louisiana, because there are people who will vote for a conservative Democrat in Louisiana. It's, it's a, it's a, they'll, they'll vote for Republicans if the person's too left leaning, but they'll vote for a Democrat if the person's not too left leaning. So that's why in reality, you should have three seats from Louisiana for the Democratic Party, one of which being a Democrat that I would probably complain about most of the time, but still, um, um, wait, no, it's, it's Trump's turn to say it. It is what it is. Thank you, Donald. Let's see. Cody Shodi has a point. Establishment Dems don't want to be in charge. They want to blame Republicans for the way things are while they profit from the same policies. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. My problem is, is, is that I think, I think establishment Democrats do want to be in charge. I think everybody wants to be in charge. I was like, I used to believe that, you know, the Republicans didn't ever really want to overturn Roe versus Wade. Uh, they just wanted to be able to use it as a campaign tool to fundraise off of. Now, the fact that they have a 6-3 court that might very well overturn Roe versus Wade, um, because I don't think Roberts is going to have enough sway to bring somebody else over to say, hey, this is stare decisis. We don't want to overturn stare decisis. Uh, it'll probably be 5-4 with Roe v. Wade being overturned. Um, but I think I think they would prefer having the power. Just a matter of fact, you have those two, uh, Mansion and Cinema, who don't want to, uh, who 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 just don't want to allow the Democrats to do what they want to do. And if you look at what Biden's done, it, it's a lot. You know, I was listening to one of House Sparks' shows, and it was going over all of the things that Biden has done so far in his first term, and you know, via executive orders and other things, and it's. A pretty, you know, and part of it is just governing, doing things that Donald Trump didn't do. Anyway, let's go ahead. We are going to go ahead and play the words of Redneck Wisdom this week. We'll discuss it. It's, it's about the truckers as well and some other things, really interesting things. But let's go ahead and play words of Redneck Wisdom before we get to the bottom half of the hour and talk about it quickly. <laughs> And now, words of redneck wisdom, brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. And I tell you what's so ironic, when what he was saying in the clip absolutely confirms what I my research has showed. I've been I've been researching this since the get go, and uh, they've nailed it. They've nailed it. And thanks to the insight from the good Lord, I had. 
prior knowledge. I knew he was correct when he was speaking. It, this this thing is so much bigger than people understand. And it, if you can't see the big picture, it's hard to put it all together. But there has been an effort brewing for quite some time to do what they're doing. And when you look at the World Economic Forum and the leaders there and the leaders they have trained, like the coward in Canada, uh, he is a product of the World Economic Forum. And there are others around this world that are taking stands like yes. the Castro in Canada that unfortunately uh, puts us in a, in a dangerous spot. But one thing I did want to comment on, on the truckers. I, that's what I did for a long time in my life was drive long distance. And I well remember the trucker strike back in the 70s. And all I can tell the Canadians, and I just see where Ontario has got a court order trying to block the money from uh, the new funding group from getting to the truckers. Right. Keep right on playing, and after a while, you will make the bear mad, and they'll all put their trucks in park, put their keys in their pocket, and go home until the nation cries for something to eat. And this concludes Words of Redneck Wisdom, brought to you by Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Now, here's the thing. He knew that it was this big grand conspiracy. Now, the whole grand conspiracy is, I find, humorous as well, simply because of the fact that they believe... A lot of these people that, that call into the show that I usually get some of these, a lot of these words of redneck wisdoms from are, you know, people, they believe in this idea of like this great reset. Like the reason that they're trying to get the vaccines into people's arms is because they want to like minimize the population. They want to kill billions of people. This, this, is, this is the conspiracy theory. They want to kill billions of people in order to make sure that they can have a world that they can control. But here's the thing. Here's a problem with their logic. Now, expecting them to use logic is just, you know, maybe that's, I guess, bless my heart, I guess, on that one, because I shouldn't expect them to use logic. But if if I was going to be in charge of some vast grand world conspiracy where I wanted to off half the people in order to have a more manageable society, I wouldn't kill people via the vaccine like like to, to the conservatives the people taking the vaccine are the gullible ones who are going to fall victims so they don't want to fall victims these conservatives are being smart they're not taking these vaccine by from these horrible people no if i was going to be running this big conspiracy theory that was going to be uh trying to off millions of people i would introduce the virus i would then introduce the vaccine but then i would introduce information about the vaccine to the people who I didn't want taking it and who I wanted to die um, to make them not want to take the vaccine. If, if I wanted to control and I felt that the people who took the vaccine were the people who I could control, then I would want the other people. So I would, the vaccine wouldn't be what I, would, what I would be having kill people. It would be the virus that would be the thing killing people. But again, don't expect conservatives to 
come with any sort of common sense in a conspiracy theory. I mean, most conspiracy theories are wacky anyway, but the fact that they just, it doesn't even make any sense. But then the trucker thing, let's park the trucks. He wants to park the trucks, take the keys, walk away, and then wait till they complain because they can't eat. So they're willing to starve people. They're willing to starve people in order to get their way. That's kind of, I mean, I don't, it's almost terrorism. It's almost, you know, you're willing to do harm to people. You're willing to withhold food from them in order to get them to act your way, the way that you want them to act. Because you don't want to be inconvenienced with mandates. You don't want to be inconvenienced with the idea that people should be masking up properly. People should be social distancing. And God forbid people get the vaccine. Woo. You know, yeah. So they don't get, they, they, again, they, their, their problem is, is, is usually not what they say it is, but they, they just don't want to be inconvenienced. They don't want to be made uncomfortable. It's selfishness. You know, a lot of times when me and, and Yosh and Demonox are talking about a lot of the issues of the day, we'll be talking about stuff like the hypocrisy and that conservatism to conservatism. Uh, hypocrisy is a conservative prerequisite. But there are other prerequisite, prerequisites as well, like selfishness, like unwillingness to consider the actions and whatever happens around you. I was listening to other, another show. It was a doctor on the same channel, and she was talking about how she's not against vaccines, she's just against mandates, and she was concerned. Her concern was that if, you know, through this whole pandemic with COVID, was that we were going to overplay the hand that we had and make it almost like a boy who cried wolf scenario where we overplay the hand, we, we, we make people mask too much, we make people do too much for something that is not as deadly as perhaps some other form of a virus so that when it comes around for the next time for, you know, where we might need more drastic measures to make sure that we fight the spread of a, of a more deadly virus, not, I mean, clearly COVID has been deadly. Um, it's killed what, how many people now? Um, so they want to, you know, they, they're basically basically saying that people aren't going to want to do what needs to be done in a more deadly virus because they were tired of it. They have fatigue from listening to all of what was going on, um, during COVID and, and, and following those guidelines. And I'm like, no, oh, it's, it's, that's what leadership is about. That's why you have to get up there and say, look, this is important. And then that is important as well. So anyway, let's go ahead and take our second commercial break. I believe we have Helen online. We're just going to double check that during the commercial break. Uh, come back, uh, take your calls as well. 914-803-4131. This is 914-803-4131. This is Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right.
Greetings. This is Nimbus Josh, host of the Percy Podcast. What is the Percy Podcast? <laughs> well, it's pretty much the smoothest talking host you'll ever hear in your life talking about all kinds of things, political things, nerdy things, fun things, not so fun things. Go ahead, give a listen, and follow at the Percy Podcast for more updates and information. Why not sit back and take a listen to one of the best podcasts you'll ever hear and no one else will. (laughs) Catch you on the tunes. Do you want to set money aside for a rainy day? Do you want to open an account that will give you a savings bonus each month? What if I told you that you can get both and have a chance to win $10 million? Yada is an FDIC-insured bank, and when you go to yada.liberaldan.com, open an account, and make your first deposit, you will get 100 entries into the next weekly drawing. You will also get entries each week you have a balance. So go to yada.liberaldan.com. That's Y-O-T-T-A dot liberaldan dot com. Using gerrymandering, voter suppression, and other nefarious tactics, the Republican Party has manipulated our electoral system to maintain as much control as possible despite being a party in the minority. Liberal Dan Radio seeks to change that, and I need your help in doing so. Liberal Dan Radio has partnered with Levelfield to help us use tools that are typically only available to big money donors. When you go to StopTheCoup.LiberalDan.com and make your contribution, it will encourage other voters to reach out to their legislators to pass legislation to stop gerrymandering and voter suppression and target elected officials who refuse to protect the vote. Every eligible voter should be able to cast a ballot, and that ballot should have the same power as everyone else. I can't do this alone. I need your help. So please go to StopTheCoup.LiberalDan.com and make your contribution today. That's StopTheCoup.LiberalDan.com. StopTheCoup.LiberalDan.com. Political advertising paid for by Levelfield. Contributions are not tax deductible as charitable contributions. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio, Talk from the Left, That's Right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's 914-803-4131. It's 914-803-4131. Um, again, if you want to follow the show, you can join us in the chat, uh, blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. Go to the uh, chat room there, as well as the chat room live on YouTube as well. And now, without further ado... You've seen him in roles like in Dude, Where's My Car? and Spider-Man 2. You've seen him as one of the stars as Queer as Folk. You've seen him as the second most attractive host of Talk Soup, but only by a little. And if you haven't seen him on the show, How Sparks Mega Worldwide, you really should, because besides being a talented actor and funny comedian, he is ridiculously well-informed about the issues as well. Listeners of the Liberal Day and Radio program, I am proud to introduce to you Hal Sparks. Thank you very much for joining us this uh, fine Wednesday evening. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it greatly. And uh, I want to say for the record that everything you said in your intro is absolutely factually correct. I just, you know, I don't, I don't want anybody to think for a second it isn't. So there, yeah, perfect. Yeah, I'm glad we got yeah. that. Yeah. Perfect. Well, we, hey, we agree. Um, <laughs> you're almost the most attractive one. But, yes, Hal Sparks <laughs> is the, uh, very awesome. So anyway, so well, I'm, 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 by the way, I'm only secondly, uh, I'm only the second most physically attractive. 
uh, on a personal nature, I am the first. I, I, I do uh, skate on charm. So as, yes. as Fox, you know, as a, you know, as host go talk soup, yes. I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I, I do I, win I, on that one. Just, just yes. There should be an asterisk there. I should say yes. That's true. Well, unless there is two. on my Wikipedia page. I put it there myself. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. So, so you have, I've been, you know, I've been catching up with some of the episodes older and some of the newer ones about Mega Worldwide. So tell us how you, what got you started with doing your House Sparks Mega Worldwide uh, program? I, I've been doing my uh, radio show on WCBT for uh, over 10 years now, doing, um, you know, political talk on the weekends. And when the, when, at the beginning of the current unpleasantness, when the lockdown happened, um, I, because I had just spent a good deal of time in China, I was very aware of where this was headed, that all the mm. things about, well, a couple weeks and we'll be fine, was nonsense. And so I, I knew people were going to be dealing with some stuff. So I decided on my YouTube channel, and uh, you know, it, uh, I, I've had uh, infotainmentwars.com for a long time pointing to my YouTube channel. I decided to just sort of set up shop in the afternoons and 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 just chat with people about politics and all that, you know, that was going around, especially leading up to the election, because there was a lot of anxiety about it. A lot of people were freaked out, not just about you know the uh, COVID and whatnot, but also about you know, the upcoming 2020 election and the primary season and all this. And I had a very strong sense of where things were going. I wasn't worried in terms of the election or even the primary. I, you know, I I could tell early on where it was headed. So I got on the air and started talking about that. And, and in a way that I, I hoped would let the pressure valve off of them. So they wouldn't feel so anxious all the time, you know, because, there's a lot of serious issues to deal with. There's a lot of serious, uh, you know, especially politically these days and over the last couple of years, but they have to be taken in a certain amount of context with the rest of life. Otherwise you get hit with this, you know, anxious paralysis where people feel that the issues are so overwhelming and so gigantic and so awful that they can't do anything about it. And so it's important, I think, um, for people to reclaim their, their strength in this circumstance, not just as voters, but as citizens as well, and not feel like the world is going to collapse if they let go of their grip for one, one second. And it's been great. It's, you know, we have a really resilient audience. We get to have a lot of fun doing the show because, quite frankly, I'm not afraid of trolls and I'm not afraid of the right-wing media group, um, even when they hit me with copyright strikes on YouTube to try and get me to not be able to use their stuff. It won't work. Um, no, and, no, there's no yeah. such thing as fair use, right? Right. Not when it comes to Newsmax anyways, right? Right. So, Apparently. Yeah. Right. So I, you know, I feel really good about where the, what the show shaped up into. And then it, you know, it organically over the course of a few months, um, I set a regular schedule so people could find it, you know, on at three o'clock Pacific in the afternoons for two hours minimum. And then sometimes, oftentimes, I will go longer than that because it's live streaming and whatnot, and I can do whatever I want. And it gives me the ability to kind of reference stuff. And, And I decided early on what I would do differently, besides the fact that I would go after anything that like Mike Pillow or Rudy Giuliani or Trump himself, whenever they would say, nobody even looked at my interview where I said this, or nobody has looked at what we are talking about, 
or they're not talking about it or whatever, any accusation like that, I decided I would look at it directly. So I'll take my audience right over to what they say nobody's looking at, and I'll do it so they can't say nobody anymore. The other thing right. is that I take it, I, I do the whole video, whatever they post, however long it is, if it's three minutes or seven minutes or a half hour, I do the whole video so that nobody can accuse me of taking stuff out of context either. Because that's the other thing is that they, you know, the, the, the accusation is that we're always taking them out of context when indeed that's what they do most of the time. So I, I made a distinct choice. So I've done, I've watched every single Trump rally for the last two years live on the air. I've done every one of Mike Pillow's movies, his docu-movies about right. the election. I've, I've watched them with my audience live on the air and live fact-checked them and did comedy during them, um, all relating to what they are talking about. And, and I feel like, uh, you know, they can no longer say nobody, they, you know, or they always take me out of context, that kind of stuff. Nope, not me. Hal Sparks has watched the whole thing. <laughs> and that, that's one of the things I tried to do, especially when I was, you know, pandemic, I, was, I started yeah. being, uh, I'm a software developer on the other side of the, you know, on my main job cool. or whatever. Um, and so, yeah. but I was hard finding work. So one of the, one of the things I tried to do with my podcast is be able to, every time that Trump went live when he was president, I was all right, let's, let's do a live stream. Let's, 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 let's yeah. cover everything he's saying. And then yeah, live fact check to make sure that people are saying, and then of course you, you know, his, his kind of comedy writes itself, like, you know, shining a it's, light in the yeah. body and, you know, just, oh, disinfectant yeah. well, the, in the body. Yeah. All the, yeah. All the original, um, press conferences they did for Operation Fart Steed um, were – they were predictably awful. And you could, you could basically judge how hard uh, Deborah Burks was rubbing her forehead when she walked into the room <laughs> at where she yeah. knew he was going to go, right? Um, when it came to his own rallies, um, what, I, what I think most people recognized over the course of me showing all of them and continuing to show them – we've done the most recent ones as well – is that Trump himself, everything that he accuses Biden of being, you know, uh, a product of dementia, unable to stitch words together, uh, you know, and uh, too over, you know, too far over his head uh, to deal with any of these issues is absolutely true of Trump and becomes truer every single day. And it and anybody who's worried like, oh, my God, he's going to run again. Oh, my God, we're going to have another January 6th. If any of them have watched his recent rallies with me. They know that this is nothing to be afraid of. There is no way he's running again. There is no way he's a threat. And there's no way anybody in a year and a half will be following him about this stuff. Not, well, not I mean, yeah, they, they absolutely are masters of projection. They're always projecting everything out that they do. You yeah. know, one of the things that I think Biden should have done, I would have, I would have loved it if Biden would have done this, is when they asked him about his mental acuity or whatever at that press conference, he should have just looked at the camera and went, Person, woman, man, camera, TV, and camera, TV, right? <laughs> that would have been that yeah, would have been great. That, exactly. Um, the the issue was, um, I I actually think he should have gone. Um, hey, hey, Trump, do that person, woman, man thing again. Uh, right. <laughs> um, would have would have been enough. But the reality is, is that you know, Trump, for all of his best words, best people nonsense. Um, does nothing but kind of get aggravated about how many people failed him during his presidency and were a terrible 
indication of stuff. And next time he'll know so much, even though he ran on I know better than everybody, which right. is fascinating as a, you know, as a, that he just can't catch himself in that. And then the best words when, you know, I have a regular group of, you know, of recordings that I play on my show, you know, like him saying, um, God bless the United States. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, God bless the United States. Or when he tried to pronounce illegals. Right. You know, that, that kind of stuff. That anonymous. I, you know, we, yeah, we started a really an anonymous um, and Iowa values when he clearly defecates in the middle of saying Iowa. Um, <laughs> there, you know, you could see a vein appear on his forehead on some of the most simple words. And yet, you know, and again, I think it goes to what you were saying, which is every accusation is a confession when it comes to Trump. If he accuses someone of something, he's he's confessing to it himself. And the other thing he does is, you know, is you can get a look inside his psyche based on what he thinks is important. Because how he talks about Afghanistan, I'm sure you've heard this many times, that he talks right. about it because it's the single most embarrassing thing. It's embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. Embarrassing. Which means – that is the standard in his life for what feels bad. He has no shame, but he's easily embarrassed. And therefore, that gives you a window into how to deal with him as, an, as a problem. And that is to embarrass him. And how do you embarrass him? You mock him. He can't take it. He's so thin-skinned. And that's why he insults people first, because he thinks it takes some of the edge off. That when they right. insult him, then it's just them being defensive. So he's already one step ahead. But now, right. anybody making fun of him, he is so thin-skinned about it, it, it points to his own emotional and psychological weakness. That's why I don't buy the narcissism thing. I don't believe he passes a shiny surface ever and thinks, I'm a superior man. I think he's got <laughs> a terrible like, low self-esteem problem, and he's had it his whole life. It is what it is now. <laughs> yep, exactly. So yep. I do have I do have a different question to you when I, when I, you know as soon as I knew that you were coming on the show I did have a question you know people often talk about you know the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated people sure um, and now shouldn't it be not vaccinated and not unvaccinated because it's not yes. like we injected them with you don't take it out right it's like yes. the unsweetened argument that I have in my Charmageddon special that is yes. exactly right they're they're yes. the non-vaccinated if anything. You know, yes. like non-smokers, they're not taking it into their body for a specific choice. Um, right. Yeah, clearly. And 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 ultimately, um, we'll just I think just calling them the diseased would help. <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to get too dystopian future. You know, but I'm not going to count that just because they haven't gotten this particular vaccine that they they aren't on their way to a bad case of shingles and lung nodules. So <laughs> with all of these folks, it will be hard to tell. Um, the reality is, is I come from the South, and I know lots of folks that are in this ilk, and I refuse on my show and on my Twitter account and all the other places that I show up um, online to wish them ill in any sense. I don't want any of these people to get this stupid disease. I hope they all dodge it. I hope they BS themselves into thinking that they, you know, that it was fake after they don't have it so that they, you know, as long as they live. Um, I don't care. Because I would rather argue politics with a living person than, than say I told you so to a gravestone. It's never been interesting to me. These are my fellow Americans. Um, I'm not going to demonize or, or you know, 
zoomorph them into, you know, into, you know, being dehuman, you know, dehumanizing them and taking away their, their agency in that regard. And whenever I argue or mock any of these people, I'm doing it in the name of their humanity, not in lieu of it. And, and it's, it's crucial that I think we're able to have that conversation because ultimately Democrats, I'm proud to say, are in the business of helping people even who didn't vote for our party. Right. You know, the infrastructure bill itself is the dead giveaway. Rural broadband as a sales point is the very thing that got it across the finish line. You're welcome. And <laughs> um, it, is the th- it, it is the thing that will benefit the most people and ultimately raise us to a level of, you know, an educated uh, populace. Um, it's, it will make a huge change over the next, you know, decade or so uh, that that happens. Yeah, but the, but the odd thing is is that if you look at but not odd but if you look at the mm-hmm. if you look at the numbers that are coming in from the from like the the, the deaths from the you know mm-hmm. I think there's what out of every what yeah. five or six deaths on uh, like one Aren't comes from right. uh, from a blue county others come from a the rest come from a red county like they're they're literally dying to own the libs like you have the one guy yeah, who was who was not wanting to get the vaccine, even though it meant he wasn't going to get a transplant. Yeah. They're, they're so... Well, they're, dying to show, they're dying to show fealty to Donald Trump. That is, that is a big part of it. It's beyond even just their own suspicious, conspiratorial, QAnon-ish kind of stuff, which is definitely a big part of it. But right. a lot of them are doing it to show fealty to Trump and therefore to America. So their patriotic tendencies have been weaponized against them by this idiot who couldn't care less about the country to the, you know, and the Republican party treats this country like renters. They can't wait to cash out and move to the Caymans. The rest of us, Democrats, especially, we treat it like we have a mortgage. We need to, you got to take out a loan occasionally and make improvements if there's a hole in the roof. But in general, we plan on sticking around, you know, we're trying to make the place better. It's our home. And, uh, and a lot of these folks I think have had their, you know, like I said, their patriotism weaponized. That said, then I think that's a window for us to, as far as communication and respect, where you can talk to somebody and go, you know, I don't know who told you I don't love this country, but they're wrong. And my question is, is that why are you being led around by people who clearly don't um, and get into a conversation where they're sort of def- defending that attitude that they have about, you know, who loves the country and what that looks like? Because uh, the the people getting the infrastructure bill passed and getting that work done to improve the actual country and not yammer about it for years is Democrats. Right. And that's, you know, that's a meaningful benefit to the country. Same thing with, you know, you know, defense, people who serve, all that kind of stuff. The assumption is it's all red. Clearly it's not. So we, we, I think we have to start owning our own patriotism again and our respect for this country um, and and showing it because I think we give a great examples. I mean, the economy even does better under Democrats without fail. So we even we even do capitalism better than they do. Um, and the <laughs> irony is that they think we hate it. It's you know it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, and, and one of the things you tweeted recently was the uh, whole you know you know one of the things HB one and and the, and the voting rights bills that are trying to get passed and one of the things that you know, in those bills that, that mm-hmm. we couldn't get passed was, you know, gerrymandering. And I've been talking about gerrymandering a lot on my program. I, I, mm-hmm. I have a whole stop the coup at liberalday.com trying to target 
gerrymandering, yeah. and I, I have a video series that points out when states, you know, blue states and red states, when they both do it, you know, and, and now, you know, conservatives were like, well, we don't want to do anything about that, you know, because we like our gerrymandering. And then all of a sudden, was it New York that, that is, has drawn yeah. two Republicans out of their districts? And they're like, well, yep. that's not how we're supposed to do it. <laughs> well, that's because that's they're under the impression that gerrymandering or partisan gerrymandering has actually had any kind of material effect long term on, um, on either party. And the reality is most of the time it's a wash. And even without the Voting Rights Act being in full force, thanks to the conservative Supreme Court, most of the gerrymandering switches that they've made have come too late. So what they've done is in an attempt to, you know, in a system where they had set it up, say, in Texas, where you had three white districts in one uh, black or Latino district, for example. um, And they were like, well, we'll divide up the black district and get rid of the black representative. You know, we'll cut it into three slightly bigger you know, districts or, you know, or four watered down districts. Well, the problem they have is these districts, even when they're soundly Republican, are soundly Republican 60-40. They're not 80-20 or 90-10. And when you divide up a fourth, you know, uh, fully Democratic group into these other three areas, what you do is you stack the vote and bring it closer to 50-50. The Texas gerrymandering attempts that they put forward move their map closer to purple than they've ever been. Even, even were they to succeed, they would have ultimately helped Democrat gain ground. So the, the, you know, there are two issues where Democrats have been fighting hard over the last few years. One is money and politics, and the other is, um, is gerrymandering, dis- redistricting. And in reality, they have, because of how our country is socially knit together, both with social media and 24-hour news cycles, have less of an effect on the outcome of the vote than the just general mass of voting. Even when they try to carve out these specialty districts, they don't exist. And partisan gerrymandering ultimately is what gave us the Congressional Black Caucus initially, because they right. tried to sequester groups into smaller areas. And what that re- amounted to was you know, about 10 or 15 um, black congresspeople introduced across the country, while they may have been able to win in three districts over the next 10 years. What it did was create this thing in less than two. And so even that blew back on them. Even that didn't work. So I have a lot more hope about our system, I think, than most people do. And I don't believe it's going to fall apart. Donald Trump was president of the United States for four years, and we still have a country. Uh, They're going to try all this nonsense. They're going to try and shift, you know, the next election and all this stuff. And if it'll go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court will go, even with a, a, a conservative majority, will go, uh, go away. Um, it, you know, the, the obvious counted votes are going to be the ones that will make, put the person in the office. And Trump's not running again. And most of the other Republicans don't want to lose their mandate entirely by having an asterisk next to their name. So none of them are going to kind of run to protect themselves um, based on that. I mean, I do have some, you know, I, I do have some hesitancies and worries sure. like the whole, you know, Roberts's ruling on, you know, that 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 gutted the Voting Rights Act, you know, that, that sure. he basically said, you know, we haven't seen racism anymore, you know, as much as we did. So oh, therefore, we no yeah. longer need these. It's like, And my argument with right. that is living in New Orleans, you know, the Mississippi River hasn't flooded New Orleans recently 
because of the levy protection system. So clear we don't need levies anymore need because levies we haven't anymore. flooded in a right. while. Just just yeah, the levies I, I, and then I, we don't I, need it, right? <laughs> right. Well, basically the the analogy that would work in this situation because they did not remove the illegal or uh, you know the aspects of the law that would mean that racist uh, gerrymandering challenge in court couldn't get that those changes thrown out was that they had to pre-clear it. So that's what right. they threw out is that they had to sign, get it signed off on first. And what that would be is that in that in your levy example that we had to you know fire shells at the levy to make sure it was sound before flooding season shows up again. And that was their argument against it. Now, ultimately, um, if any of them give, and there's a, you know, what's ultimately going to happen? But uh, first of all, black voters aren't stupid. They're not incapable of getting voter IDs. And the Democratic Party is prepared for any shenanigans the Republicans are going to try to pull as far as denying people the right or the ability to vote. Um, As much as the Republicans want to believe that we want people who are not citizens to vote or underage people. We don't. We don't. We're not interested in that at all. And any rule they set up, we will make sure the Democrats meet it. That's that's going to happen. We have a better get out the vote than they do because they don't like the vote. They don't want people to vote. Look at the Paul Weirich thought on it. What they want, um, you know, is for, you know, you know, uh, our voters to have more hurdles to jump over. That's it. Make right. it harder. Make it exactly. try to disinterest them. But the problem is when you do that to a specific group of people and it's so clearly about their race or their uh, their income level, those people tend to get mad and vote more often. And it, it motivates Democratic voters to show up at the polls. On the other hand, Republicans have a lot of um, low-income whites in, in rural Georgia and Tennessee and Kentucky and other places like that that don't have an ID, that don't meet all these new standards. And they're diminishing their voter count through these rules as fast as anybody else. They're just hoping that the volume of whites in the country will make up for it for them in certain areas. And I got news for them. It's not going to. It's not enough because you have Donald Trump on the other side talking people out of voting. So it's doubling the, the effect. Not only are they not going to stand in line for six hours, most of them think the vote's rigged anyway, so why would they even bother? So those well, that, folks, that's, that's, that's why the Democrats that's have the Senate. Democrats have right. the Senate in Georgia and because they talk, exactly. Trump talked them out of voting because they thought, why do I exactly. vote if it's not going to count? And that's what Republicans and that's what Republicans are ice skating up a uphill against right now. And they're hoping that that doesn't apply in the House races. But I got news for you. It's going to because this is, you know, the party that's disinterested and disenfranchised um, usually gets, uh, you know, it's usually the parties of fighting. The disenfranchised and the disinterested are fighting against the disenfranchised are the ones who show up because they're trying to balance it out. Well, the problem the Republicans have this time is that they're the party that is both out of power and disinterested. They have concocted this on their own, and it's, it's moronic, and it is not a strategy to win. Meanwhile, what they're doing is telling Democrats and core Democratic voters, which you know care about black people being able to vote, um, that they're, they're showing their hand and saying this is what we're trying to eliminate – which drives our party to the polls. So they have, they have incentivized us, and they have lowered their own count. And in every situation where they set rules up that you have to meet, we're going to meet them. Every, you know, Democrats have got it together. We have, you know, Stacey Abrams knows Georgia. She knows how to make sure that everybody who wants to vote is going to be able to vote. Right. 
<clears throat> and about voter ID, like, you know, I've always said, I've said for a while, like, I would love to, like, I think Mexico, like, gives all of their citizens a voter ID. Yep. Uh, and and yep. you, here you go. You can use this ID. You, use, you go vote. And if we did something like that, we would then find that the problem with that they were having was not really with the voter ID. They just painted the voter ID laws because they can make easy arguments. One of the things that I love to do is call my shots. Like I'll, what I'll do is I'll, is I'll say, look, yeah. my problem with these so-called voter ID laws are not the ID requirements to vote. It's the other non-ID requirements, the, 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 the require, things that have nothing to do with requiring an ID to vote that I have a problem with. And then I'll, and then I'll, I'll say, even though I just said that, you're still going to respond to me as, as a conservative and say, uh, or someone's going to come behind me and say, what's wrong with requiring an ID? And, and, Nothing and, if you provide and, it for free. Otherwise, it's and, a poll tax. That's exactly. my problem. It's a poll tax. Yeah, that, yeah, if you, absolutely. If, if the state ID, or if you have to have a driver's license to drive and you don't drive, so you can get a, a state ID, and that's an alternative. And it costs you money to get a state ID. That's a poll tax. And that is right. a slippery slope that even Republicans should understand that the government can't charge you a fee to vote. And if they can do it to make you pay for an ID, then they can do right. it uh, you know, at, at, at a toll booth on the way. Because what's the difference? At a certain point, all of it is online. So the, so the, the baseline is, is that you should have, there should be a free national ID that's provided to everyone that is references, you know, references your citizenship, has a very distinct identification for it that you can use for all kinds of things for work and, and all that stuff. And, and, and there's a very high fine for misusing it, you know, or giving it to someone else or, you know, or theft of it or any of those kind of things. But you know who won't allow a free national um, ID to happen? Republicans. Republican. And why? Because they think it's the mark of the beast. They think right. it's a bit, it's that the devil wants, you can't, you know, you'll have to have his number to make a, uh, you know, to buy and sell things. And that's the, that's it. Their every number will add up to six, six, six somehow, even if they have to carry the two. And that's <laughs> why they won't do it. it that's, that's a hundred percent why they don't want a free ID for everybody because they don't like the idea that everybody has rights equally as a citizen for one. But on top of that, it's a religious exemption. Try talking Republicans into um, a free national ID for all citizens. Um, and, and again, it's the cost of it that I have a problem with because legally you can't do that. You cannot charge someone to vote. If it costs you $17, I don't care right. who you are, it's not that we couldn't drum up the $17, but I bet they'd have a real problem with the Democratic Party handing out $17.50 to everybody to make sure they can get their new state ID that they have to have, even though they refuse to pay for it themselves. That would be some sort of, you know, uh, electioneering as far as they were concerned or buying votes. So that until they're okay with giving away an ID, um, basically the defense against all of their stuff they're talking about is that they're trying to create a poll tax. They're trying to charge people to vote. They're trying to make it a fee to vote. And that's illegal. Right. And, yeah. and, so, yeah, but it's just like, just like that. Like their problem isn't with, really with the ID. Their problem is with black people voting uh their, their problem sure. you know just like with with what happened at the halftime show that the, they all complained that you know eminem took a knee well the, the well he didn't take a knee during a pledge he didn't take a knee while they were you know, saying something in support right. of the troops or anything he took a knee at, during a rap song so th their problem was never with disrespect of the flag or whatever their problem right. was with 
the fact that what he's protesting, which is maltreatment of black people by law enforcement. You know, it, it's, right. it's never their, their problem is never what they say their problem is. Their problem is always something else. Well, yeah, but it's also they also have to believe that it's uh, it's permeated it's everywhere. You know what I mean? That this, the problem that they're against has to surround everyone. So when when he does this, it's a you know, it's it's an attack on America as its idea. Again, this is weaponized patriotism. They have, right. Trump has weaponized patriotism against them. Meanwhile, he's rubbing his crotch on the flag, which, uh, you know, when I was in Boy Scouts was reason enough to burn it out of respect because that's you drop it on the ground or you rub your crotch on it. It's the same thing. You've desecrated the flag and it has to be burned. That's, that's how you get rid of a flag that's not still up to standard. So, so yeah. just just to go to the chat room because I haven't really been I've been ignoring the chat room a little bit in YouTube. Uh, so, it happens. So Sadie Sin says, uh, so what actually drives voters if not hope and not fear of some unknown horror? It's why the Republicans use fear. They gave up on hope years ago. They hold power this way, putting us pitting us against each other. Well, no, they they have a version of hope. They have a version of it which is this um, Ward Cleaver version of the past, the 1950s. That's what Make America Great Again was all about was this illusion of, of these suburbs without crime, not because the police were doing their job, but because everybody had a gun and they could just shoot out their windows, that it was this, this kind of like a version of Leave it to Beaver where everybody's got a 50 cal mounted in the living room at the same time. So at any turn, the whole neighborhood could just go clack, clack and solve their own problems like, like we all live in the old west. Right. So they, they do sell this idea that one day America will be back to, you know, this uncomplicated period of, of life, which, by the way, was complicated as hell and, right. and had as much as much, if not more problems because of it. And, and even the 50s were a psychological reflex after World War Two, where the, the largely the fathers in the homes had seen such horrors that they were all going through PTSD collectively. So everybody pretended everything was okay because that was the closest thing to treatment you got. So um, they do sell hope of that future, you know, their version of what everything should look like, right? Um, and it is there for them, but, it, but they buttress it with the idea of caravans, right? Or, or in Glenn Beck's case, the Great Reset or whatever conspiracy right. that's out there, you know. Right, I was talking about the Great that's, Reset. Like, the whole Great Reset is just bizarre to me. I was talking about before the break, and they're like, yeah, the, the idea that, you know, they're, they're using the vaccine. Some people said using the vaccine to kill off people. Well, no, why? the people that they want, that the people would want to kill off aren't the people who would willingly take the vaccine. It's the people who wouldn't willingly take the vaccine. That's right. That's been my argument for a long time. Like, if you're trying to boil it down to the very necessary what you would do is the people who have the means and wherewithal to get vaccinated, not the, you know, the 9 billion people on the planet randomly scattered all over the place, that you would have to get a needle in their arm. That's really complicated. You would create a real disease with a real antidote and only give it to the people you want to have it. That's, right. I mean, I, I've, I've seen enough Bond films to know that there's even a material limit to the Dr. Evils of the world. And I don't, I don't get how they think that um, they're be, because let's just say you were the evil person, you know, the, the George Soros pentaveret member that they think you are. Um, right. are 
are you going to leave the anti-vaxxers alive? Are they going to, you're going to come up with a plan this intricate, this crazy, this outlandish, and the only, like, ah, oh, dang it, ah, oh, no, I missed it. This, well, all the anti-vaxxers. Now I, gotta, now I have to fight a war against the, the kingdom of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Crap, you know. <laughs> uh, were you disappointed as I was that John F. Kennedy Jr. didn't show his shadow that day? <laughs> I'll, I'll when they're have all you winning. know that John F. Kennedy Jr. No, no, no. I'll have you know that John F. John F. Kennedy Jr. spoke at the last Trump rally. He was wearing a Trump skin suit, and uh, all the flubs were because he was old. So um, that wasn't <laughs> those those mistakes were not Trump's. That was uh, JFK trying to speak without a, a Massachusetts accent, and it's uh. it's work, especially when you've been pretending to be dead with a big chunk of your head missing for years. So I, I don't fault him for that, you know, and right. uh, this, that's, that's actually the current belief system amongst the Q crowd is that JFK, not junior, but senior, spoke at the last Trump rally wearing a Trump disguise. So, see, it's hard to not yeah. mock the people who, who really believe that those things are true. I mean, but of course, these people oh, also, it's not you hard know, for me, I think it's the, the only way concerned. to get them out. It, it's, you know, people who are concerned about the gazpacho coming out them. I mean, sure. I saw that. Uh, I'm not a fan of cold soup anyways. I understand. It's, you know, in some <laughs> cases, it's the worst possible scenario. But I will say that a lot of the folks who, um, you know, who believe this stuff, the only way you're going to get them out is to make them feel ridiculous. If you, if you accuse them of something hateful, if you're angry towards them, if you have any kind of, you know, emotionally violent tone in your voice, they're going to react as if, well, you're Satan. That's what Satan would sound like. But if you laugh right. at them in a genuine way and go, dude, you are being ridiculous um, uh, with as much charity in your heart as you can muster in the face of this, you have a much better chance of freeing them from the, the you know, the shackles of this moronic delusion that they're in. And so that's what I do on my show. You know, and I, 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 you know, I work at it. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's easy to get kind of wound up and, and get kicked at these folks for believing some of the stuff they believe. But that's me giving it more credence than it deserves. And so I just take a couple of steps back, give, get some perspective, stiff arm, uh, you know, my reality from theirs, and, and, and stand confidently in reality and laugh my ass off at the ridiculousness of what they're talking about. Because in, in a free situation, that's what you would do. If you weren't threatened by this idea or worried about it, your genuine was, response would be hysteria. It would be laughter. And, right. and so I try to stay as true to that as possible. Because part of, the, you know, part of the conversation even about Trump, about him being a real threat and January 6th was just a dry run and all that kind of stuff, the problem with talking like that is that you – they love the sound of that. Like, see, they know he's for real. And he's not. And so pretending he is because some of his followers might be nuts is a total mistake, I think, personally. I think you have to treat him like the ridiculous fraud that he is all the time. And, and from that, um, you know, get them to recognize that they might have bought into a scam. You know, it's how you bring anybody out of a cult or a Ponzi scheme or, you know, a, a multi-level marketing group, you know, right. is just is laughter to tears about what these people have bought into 
with the idea that like we all we've all been fools and suckers and stupid at some point in our life we have just as humans it's you know most of us were of course toddlers when we were at this level of gullible but still and we were still human beings if not fully formed and brains were half jelly and are you know with mostly cartilage for a skull but still and so to give these people a little bit of wiggle room to get out of this is necessary and making fun of it on the scale of how idiotic it is is crucial to that i truly believe because the minute you start getting angry the minute you start taking them seriously as a threat, they go, aha, I've obviously struck a chord. They know I'm right. They all fall back into that. All the Trump supporters feel that way. It's super clear when you talk to any of them. And so I think it's that the power of mockery. You know, it was, it was said that uh, one silly song did more to bring down the King, uh, King George than did all the protestations of the bishops. Um, and you know, it was it was the silly songs they would sing in bars around uh, the king that that ended his reign, and not all these people who, who brought up the serious problems with his with his monarchy. And I and you can't lose sight of that. That's, I mean, that's why I believe is a calling. It's a it's a necessary. Um, it's it's healing. It's you know, it's got value. Um, on a scale, you know, as high as or higher than, depending on your opinion of it, religion. And so I, I find it crucial, and I will never let my laughter go. I will always mock these fools. Now, I don't have a problem getting serious about some of the stuff that they seriously say when I get really annoyed, but I will always bring it back home if I ever catch myself getting too serious about inserious people. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, what, you know, one of the things – that I did say. I think I think though that Green when when she big brought up the gazpacho, I did think she uh, was probably doing it just to make you not pay attention to her clan chowder. That's oh, yes, the clan chowder, right? Sure, yeah. um, as you do. Um, and, and that's you know again that is kind of crucial. She tried to back her way out of it by making a silly joke. You'll notice she tried to right. you know use some self-deprecation in a tweet and get away from it, and it didn't work because she did it with such fervor and she was doing it. She had so much violence in the way she spoke that it made it impossible that the joke that she was, uh, you know, she caught herself in was based entirely on her hatred. Like she's a gnarly, awful person. She's a very mean spirited yeah. human being. And so, yeah, yes, yes. and as much as she takes herself very seriously, too seriously, quite frankly, um, the, the reality is, is that even her supporters don't take her that seriously. That's her mistake because, she, you know, she's making money across the country, not in her district. She's getting, you know, a, a spattering of money from a lot of places is always way better than all the money in one. Right. And that's why she and Matt Gates were these big fundraisers for the Republican Party, because they were the only ones reaching across different districts and across the country. Well, a bunch of that money was come from coming from liberal spoilers uh, who know that if you make her the face of the Republican Party, they're done because they can't govern like that. It doesn't exist. It's not a it's not a functioning party in that regard. And now I'm sure you've seen this. We've seen them eat each other. Like I, right. I have a, the only time I will ever pause during my show and not really interject anything is in these big sections where they just go off on rhinos. I mean. Trump and those guys, 
Bannon, everybody, they attack Republicans way more than they do Democrats. And he can barely attack Biden, you know, uh, and I think partly it's because Biden's an old white guy. And so he's like doesn't even have the gene for doing it. But at the same time, if he attacks Biden specifically, he, 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 it's a constant reminder to Trump that he lost to this guy. And, and so he can't make Biden that weak. Like I never thought in, in in any time in my life like that I would ever hear anybody call like Liz Cheney a rhino. Like right. I mean nowadays like I I listen to a, a a conservative talk show in the morning like most mornings just sure. you know local guy I know him personally he's he's clearly gone way off the wall as compared to when I first knew him but like mm-hmm. the, the, their idea of what a rhino rhino used to be like a moderate Republican who like, you know, maybe like wouldn't vote for pro-life stuff or would would vote for abortion rights. And, you know, wasn't as, you know, trickle down or Mm -hmm. what supported. So somebody who was, who was like a little bit different on policy. Now it's just Trump. If you don't support Trump, you're a rhino, which. Right. Oh man. I mean, look how they went after uh, Lindsey Graham all of a sudden. And like Lindsey Graham could not, he could not be more attached to Trump if he was the last guy in the human centipede and and yet they had they like he literally called him a rhino and i think it's partly because that's the current bad word that works amongst the maga crowd but also right. i think because trump doesn't really know what it means and so he uses it as a pejorative cuz it's like what the hit kids are saying <laughs> not because he actually think it applies and so he speaks kind of like it when he says it, it comes across as dumb, you know, like, it's I, genuinely like, like what, when, when so, I, I heard people call like Senate minority leader, Mitch McConnell, like he, he, they call him right. a rival. Like he's the biggest Republican right. fool that there yeah, is. You cannot. Yeah. That's it's, it's like, uh, it, it's the establishment. Republicans are now rhinos. Right. That's the trick. That's the phrase trick that they're doing. Because they, that's how they are defining the Republican Party under Donald Trump. That what it means to be a Republican means you have you you show fealty to Trump. Show fealty to Trump, and, and you 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 believe that January six was legitimate political discourse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you say, but what yeah. about the violence? Oh well, well no, no. Well, punish the people that did violence, but you know, but it was legitimate discourse. And, it's like and they, those, they, be, they, those people were BLM, FBI, and Antifa, and we wouldn't have right. done that if they hadn't led us in there. But we're the people should be in, who should be in charge, even though we're apparently the most gullible idiots in the world, and that all people have to do is dress up like us, and we will follow them and attack police officers because they're like, look, what, do what I'm doing. It's, and, and these folks right. think they should be in charge. It's so-called amazing. blue lives matter unless you know right. you're trying to stop people from invading the capital. Then, then they all will jump on on the cop and and, and kill them. They'll and, beat you, you know, with a blue lives matter flag. Right, and you know, That's you know, police, you know, police shooting people is, is is totally okay unless it's terrorist Barbie. Right, right, and even right. that guy, they, you know, they they're calling him a straight up murderer. Which again, right. there's always this talk about like. With Sarah Palin's uh, libel thing against the New York New York Times, I'm like, you do realize this cop has a 
a real case against Donald Trump for calling him a murderer at this right. point because, you know, he's not, you know. Right. Um, I always, you know, TYT will do this sometimes where they'll call somebody a murderer when they full well know it, they aren't. And whether it's, uh, you know, a cop or it was even, uh, you know, Rittenhouse or whatever, they'll keep doing it even after the trial's over. And you right. can't do that legally. It, the, you know, it's a, it'll get your it'll get you yanked off the air and all your money taken out of your bank account. And I expect them to know that. I don't expect Trump to know that. And I think he probably believes he's impervious to it. And we're not far away from somebody just oh, as he's on the downslope deciding, all right, now's my chance. I'm going to sue this guy. You're never going to see any money, by the way, because he's broke. He's totally broke. He spent every dime he has. And this book that he's selling Every penny that goes out, the you know that he comes in, goes right out the door immediately. Well, if, if you so, read the fine print of, of his fundraising emails, it's like seventy five percent of this could go to our legal fees or whatever. Like, oh yeah, you know, you know yeah. but I mean, because you know, he won't be able to. I mean, beyond not even being able to run, dude's not going to even be able to ha- uh, get a mortgage for a regular sized house in a couple of years. This is, right. I mean, this is. His legal trouble, especially with uh, Mazar leaving and them disavowing 10 years of his financial yeah. statements, including the entirety of the time he was in office and the five years leading up to it, is, is a ginormous thing for a company that's allegedly that big. Now, allegedly, because there is no way that a billionaire talks about money the way he does. It's just not possible. Right. I, you know, the way he's like – you know, freaking out about what Hunter Biden supposedly made from Burisma or how much somebody gets paid for a book deal. Like he brought up like James Patterson getting $12 million for a book the other day, and it, like it was amazing. And like I haven't made that amount of money, and I'm not amazed by it. You know what I mean? Like I'm right. – like you just go, yeah, of course he makes $12 million. They sell like 150 million books. Ridiculous. You know, but of course he's going to make that kind of money. And Trump's like, whew. That's, that's a chunk of change. You're like, wait a minute. You should have that lying around. You should bump into suitcases full of that amount of money all the time. You should have one a suitcase with $100 million ready to go in case anybody's kidnapped at any given time when you have that kind of money. It's ridiculous. And yet, dude talks about money like he's never had it, and it's because he never has. From the minute he took over his dad's company – um, it was divided between him and his siblings, and he had to borrow $56 million from the, his, his siblings' trust fund just to keep the company afloat, but running, just to keep the lights on, gas money. Um, and, and that was in, you know, what, 92, 93? When he wrote Art of the Deal, he had just lost more money in, in New York real estate than anyone in history. Right. Now – if he'd have written the art of the bamboozle or the art of the flim flam, the book would have value. But it was it, the entirety of the text was a lie, all of it. And and eventually, and why I didn't want him arrested the minute he stepped out of the White House when he was done being president, why dragging it out as long as possible is actually helpful because it, it's stressing the crap out of him. Um, but also, it, you're going to want his followers to eventually, and it'll take them a while, slowly come to the realization that they've been following around a second-generation rich kid that, you know, wouldn't urinate on them if they were on fire. 
Right, because if, if you lock him out. up and they all believe he's like the second coming, they're they're yeah, all going to the follow market. him and, and be his diehard yeah, totally. supporters to the end of time. But if you yeah, let no, them no, see no. how yeah, you want to you want to dismantle his entire illusion first, and then they'll want him put in jail. You know, well, it's like the people the people are on on, on our side of the aisle who who complain, right. well, the January sixth committee is not taking is is taking too long to do all this stuff. I'm like, Mm-mm. well. They need nope. to be methodical. They need to do yes, step do. by step, get it done, check, dot every I, cross every T, check every box to make sure That's that it's right. done and in the, every, the absolute right way. That's right. And every day this drags on, it freaks him out more and more. Because quite frankly, genuinely, if you put Trump in jail tomorrow, he wouldn't have to dye his hair anymore or do that stupid comb over. <laughs> He'd probably shave it. He, you know, he never, he wouldn't have to worry about his next meal. They serve, he, he eats crap anyways. So the prison meals would probably be a step up. He'd have free health care provided by the government while he was there. And he I was eating hamburgers. Probably, yes. And he'd probably, bra- you know, be like a gangster braggart to a lot of the people that are in there. And, right. and he would not have a single pressure in his life because... There's no bills to pay. There's no nothing, right? It's done. Right. It's over. And there's a, you know, there, there's a tremendous value in being completely effed in life sometimes. And, I, and he would be one of those people that would magically go, you know what? They gave me a push broom and they give me a library cart twice a week. And I really, this is, I wish they'd done this years ago. If they'd have thrown me in jail in, in the 90s like they should have, I might have turned out a better person. <laughs> um <laughs> That, that's you know he's he's going to be let off the hook by prison for the first time in his life. And meanwhile, and he won't so be able I, to like, he won't, like with the financial issues. Right? He won't even be able to, he won't even be able to sell Mar-a-Lago because of the plumbing issues with all the stuff he tried to flush down the toilet. Right, exactly. Yeah, he tried to flush the mortgage in one big lump. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and that's again. Uh, first, well, I, my my guess is Scotland goes first. Um, at, well, the hotel in D.C. went first, so the next one will be a Scottish golf course, then Bedminster, then he'll find some way to hang on to Mar-a-Lago um, mm-hmm. as a, you know, as, as a single entity, like leveraging the rest of them and basically selling off every other aspect of it and doing, like, branding deals to pay interest on loans he's never going to repay. That's, right. that's my guess, how they keep it afloat. And Ivanka and Jared have made a run for the hills. They're They're working on the concept that the name itself after he passes or fades into nothing will have value as a, you know, like a Kardashian name in a few years as a sign of opulence because of the, the length of the family name and how she's viewed as sort of a princess. And they'll be able to, you know, rehab it to make money off of it. Whereas Don and Eric think that the properties are worth valuable, actually have physical value. And they don't. They're all over-leveraged like crazy. They're not worth anywhere near the money that they got for them, uh, that, they got, that they paid for them. And so they're, they're just underwater on all of it. And so, you're, I mean, I don't know, short of creating like Trump extended stays all across the United <laughs> States um, as a line of you know, hotels that his actual supporters can actually afford, you know, Selling, you know, with copies of his book in the lobby and and Trump sheets and serving Trump uh, tire rubber or I mean Trump steaks, um, 
and Trump waffles at 9 a.m., you know, there, there is no there there. There's no point where their version of the business brand works. I mean, they're being driven out of New York, and Florida ain't the place. Right. Yeah. Because I, 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 no I think DeSantis, like, I think he plays – like he has to, like you know, support Trump, but he doesn't want Trump. He, DeSantis wants to be the candidate in no. in twenty four. Oh, of course he does. Right. And he, so he does, he he's terrible. They're both no. awful, and they're both terrible candidates. He's a dweeb, and it's gonna, you know, DeSantis is a goober um, compared to what they want, um, and he does not come across as a strong leader. And he's he's going to be chasing all the damage he did to his own reputation in Florida for years. He squeaked out a win. Um, the, you know, there's a lot of financial support to keep him afloat because of his national um, uh, image. But quite frankly, Trump wants him flushed down the toilet. He wants him done because he's – Trump's not going to run. But what he wants to be and what he will try to transition into is you've got to kiss my ring and toss me some cash for an endorsement. He'll be selling endorsements before you know it if he isn't already. Right, and so like he's he's got a mean more than DeSantis does, and DeSantis already beats him in a lot of the polls. So he's he's you know th- that's the tug and pull that's going to happen over the next year and a half. And the problem well, like is DeSantis seen... wants everybody to vote as an establishment Republican like everybody else. He wants people to get out and vote, and Trump can't have them go to vote because then that's an admission that he lost fair and square. Well, like, yeah. you have these things like I remember, you know, it, th- these little companies that'll go around and like be like, you know, you know, to, to little municipalities or cities, or whatever. It's like, hey, you know, we, you can you can be a, a cities of distinction. You could you could you could label yourself right. a city of distinction, and all you got to do is is you know, we'll get some famous person to voice it, and and you'll you'll, you'll get this title, and you could run this commercial advertising how great you are. Um, and right. meanwhile, it's all a scam. So you know. You could Trump could do the same thing, like you know, uh, you're a candidate of distinction or whatever. You're 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 a Trump certified yeah. candidate, and they'll pay you That's know exactly. they'll pay Trump you know fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollars, depending on how big the office is, to 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 air commercials like I'm Donald Trump and I support so and so because they're gonna beat the libs because yep. they're dumb <laughs> or whatever. Yep. That's right. Yeah, he'll he'll do these little like voice like you know remember his. Uh, his tele-rallies that he did. Right. Like, we had so many people on the line who were like, yeah, no, you didn't. They had you talking into, a, into this, and if they wanted to use pieces of it, they could. But you weren't moving any voters. You weren't creating a rally, you know, energy around anything. Nobody was – it wasn't must-hear TV. And so the, this we, – we listened to a couple of them on my show – because they were mm-hmm. just like so contrived and embarrassing, but they you remember they uh, they trademarked the tele-rally thing. He was very proud of it for a while, and they realized right. he was basically they were basically just to keep him from screwing up. They were putting him on a telephone and saying, "Keep talking." It's a half an hour, <laughs> and he would do it for half an hour, and he would read his little points and thank some of the local politicians, and then hang up and do another one. And there was no one on the line. It was a waste of time. Like nobody's sitting on the phone, like clamoring to listen to him talk about the same thing they'd see him do on a live rally. And most of the people at his rallies, you know, more and more, they're like, how many rallies have you been at? Oh, this is my 50th rally. They're the same people. You're not moving people on, you know, voters in 
in different towns. It's not happening. Well, it's not always the same people. I mean, he killed off Herman Cain in Tulsa, so. That's true. Yeah, he had to come up with a couple more. Um, yes. But, yeah, in, in general, uh, the vast majority, like the first ten rows of all of his things are the same people. They get their days ahead of time. They clog up the roads so that nobody could get in. And he's like, it stretches for miles. It's like it's because it's the same ten idiots who parked on the street because they want to be able to leave early. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I refuse to be afraid of this dude, and I don't take him seriously because he's an inferior human being. I, I won't do it. And anytime somebody does, I, you know, on news, it, it's the only thing that genuinely aggravates me. I'm like, you're giving this guy power he has not earned. He's never earned it, even when he was president. We've had lame presidents before. Right. We've had criminal presidents before. Just getting to be president doesn't – I mean, it, I have respect for the office of the presidency, but that doesn't mean I have to sign off on everybody who's been in there. That's a, it's an absurdity. Um, right. But I'm and I'm not going to call for, you know, you know, jailing someone just because they're my political opposition or or a belief that they should be removed for that very reason. It's absurd. I have too much respect for my own country and for the office itself. But I'm also not going to pretend he's that the sun shines out of his backside simply because he was. It's ridiculous. It was just silly. And and watching these people try to, you know, dance that part with him. And then immediately, like, you know, MTG wanting to, like, uh, impeach Biden on day two right. because of the fake Hunter, Hunter Biden laptop, which I still stand by, does not exist. Steve Bannon calls it the hard drive from hell. Um, Rudy Giuliani calls it the laptop from hell. And so did Trump. That's because they can't get their story straight. Rudy Giuliani bought that hard drive from Russians while he was in Ukraine trying to drum up dirt. They concocted the whole thing. It, it was the blind repairman story was the second story. The first one was uh, Charles Abloh or whatever his name was. The the fox shrink that supposedly Hunter left his laptop there, and that's where they found it. Later on, well, they have, even they, they have admitted throw, there was yeah. They have to throw conspiracies out there like spaghetti on the wall, and, and because they have to try and right. get one to stick. It's like with Obama. Yeah, you know, Obama was both not a citizen at first and gave right. up his citizenship when they moved him to Indonesia or whatever for a couple of years. Like, right. which one is it? Is, is, was he not a citizen at birth or did he give it up? Or mm-hmm. uh, it can't be both. So which one is it? You're missing the point. Okay. Hang on. You're missing the point. All right. <laughs> the point is he's different. He ain't from here. He don't want to be from here. He never wanted to be, even as a baby, he was a communist. Muslim. His middle so, name you is know, Hussein. You, How can we have a right. Hussein as president? Right. Yeah. It just means, it means the handsome one, and anybody who's arrogant enough to think they're good-looking like he does, I mean, he's not really good-looking like Trump is. I mean, he's the ubermensch, but uh, the, the absurdity of it um, <laughs> is what keeps me kind of uh, hopeful because, I, you know, like I said, I'm not going to be scared of these people. I'm, I'm not going to. The world's been through way worse. There's been way more villainous people in charge of powerful countries in the past. And we are so lucky that this January 6th coup was, was, the, was attempted to be pulled off by the dumbest revolutionaries in the history of America, in the, in the world, I would argue. Like the, the absurdity of everything. As you're talking about, like, I guess, how absurd and how bad do they have to be? Like, like one of the things that, that, I've, yes. that has confused me is how, like, 
I don't know what bothers me more, how absurd they are or and how bad they are at it or, or the fact that they're absurd and bad at it and still just popular. Like Ivanka the other day, I think, was trying to, you know, defend her dad by citing Thomas Jefferson. And, but the Thomas Jefferson quote that she was citing was, the, was what he was right, what he writ, wrote about when people were criticizing him for raping somebody. And the irony there is just bizarre that right. she's using that to defend the, her dad, who's the grabbing by the hoo-ha guy. Right, right. Well, and, 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 and defend him and be backed up in that defense by uh, people who view themselves as Christians. And right. who use that not only see themselves as Christians, but use that as their gang affiliation. That they use it as a label that supersedes their behavior, which is anti-Christian in its own right. That you you believe that you know taking taking the Lord's name in vain does not mean swearing. It means saying that you are of God when you are not. Saying that you are pious when you are not claiming a label of Christianity while you are acting the exact opposite. That's what taking the Lord's name in vain actually means. And most of these people do that nonstop. It's, it, it's an illness amongst them. And then the idea that, you know, uh, you know Biden's uh, going to church and visiting his son's grave becomes a news story of, of him. Like he's wandering outside the, uh, you know, like Kennedy or whoever was on Fox, but like, you know, Biden wandering around the church grounds, like uh, he walked right over to his son's grave and was standing right. there silently. And, right. uh, you know, but stay classy, Kennedy. Yeah, I just, oh, but Senator, Senator Kennedy, oh, like he, he is, he's great. Well, first of all, he was like the most liberal candidate in 2004. Like I ran for Congress in 2004 and he was running for the Senate at the same time. And so we we're at the same right. forum. And all of a sudden, like, he, and they're attacking him for being this huge liberal, you know, back in 2004. Now it's 2022, 20, and oh, yeah. he's, like, a raging conservative yokel who, like, in, in one of his ads, like, I'd rather drink weed killer than do, what, than do whatever he was he was talking about. I'm like, only thing I can right. give Kennedy, I have to give Kennedy something, is that his staff, he has good people working for his staff because – the craziness that was the EADL loan process, his staff helped me right. get through the problems. But him, ugh. like. Right. Well, that's, you know, and, and by the way, I was speaking specifically of Kennedy, who used to be on MTV. He was a Fox host who was talking about Oh, I'm, I'm, but Sen- I'm That's right. Senator yeah. Kennedy himself, who you're talking about, um, uh, has, has become like, I think the primary senator that is voiced by an old Disney actor, you know, voice actor from from like uh, the Fox and the Hound days, you know, well, my goodness, fellas, this is the strangest bunch of hornswoggle I've ever seen in my adult life. You know, like just like trying using this colloquial, you know, uh, Southern gentleman BS to sell, you know, to his own constituencies, you know, his own constituency that he's this kind of like, I'm down. I understand, but I speak like a normal person. Um, that's right um but ultimately that what they have to deal with is that they're a slowly sliding party in general they don't have a raison d'etre anymore except follow trump and america first but they don't seem to know what that means because they never like even his even trump's buy america slogan turned out he undermined 
um, what it meant to be made in America in all these contracts basically to benefit Ivanka. Right. So there, there's not even a standard they can actually run on, nor do they want to, quite frankly. The Republican Party has, you know, bared itself out as a, you know, a party that wants to uh, shrink the government down so small it can be drowned in a bathtub by the nearest dictator and without any recognition that the world is full of genuine threats. And it's oddly enough, it's the one thing that they share with what would be the, uh, the horseshoe theory overlap of the far left, which is that somehow the whole point is to destroy the government of the United States. If it just came down, all of our problems would be solved. And it's, a, it's cartoonish, it's infantile, it's violent, and it's gross. And, and yet it's something they can sell. There's just too much that we don't need a government this big. The hell we don't. We're the biggest government, uh, country in the world with 320 million people. We're the biggest economy in the world. We have the biggest military in the world. You kind of need a functioning uh, government to service all those things. You can't do it on a shoestring. Right. Well, they're, they're like, government doesn't work, so elect me and I'll prove it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So One of my favorite you've had some, so, you, know, yeah. you did have some interesting t- takes I was listening on, on the whole Russia-Ukraine issue. Um, yeah. with what's going on over there and, and how it's you people are making much more of it than they should, I believe. Is that, is... Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, it's definitely a serious issue with, uh, with Putin, but it has a lot more to do with the geopolitics of where Russia is headed. And they are they're grinding themselves into a hole that they cannot get out of. They're, they, like China, are headed into a demographic decline that they cannot avoid. And so the claimants of of Ukrainian territory that they might have to do, they either have to crap or get off the pot very soon because they're, they're, the size of their military is going to be cut in half in the next 10 years because they, they're aging out. Um, and so, um, you know, China has the same thing. Their, their entire population is going to be cut in half by, by uh, um, you know, by 2100. And, and that, uh, that's a huge drop-off to lose two entire United States worth of people in about right. 50 years is going to be a huge change for them on a territory that big. And it's going to make them very vulnerable to the outside. And, and we'll, we'll speak to the idea that China will not be a functioning country as we know it in the next 15 years. It just can't sustain it. It's not going to. And, and there'll be a lot of talk about automation and shortening things and, you know, and militaristic control and, a lot of AI and cameras and stuff like that, but it's still not going to be a country, a functioning country, the way the United States and, and Mexico and Canada will be. And so a lot of this stuff is sort of a waiting game, and we're on the upside of that waiting game. Russia is not. And, and in many ways, you know, Russia needs the people of Ukraine just as human beings for their own demographic as much as they need any of the other resources, but they're not having it. And in many ways, by claiming Donbass and Crimea a few years ago in 2014, um, Putin set himself up to make it harder for him to claim the rest of Ukraine because all the people sympathetic to Russia moved over to the Donbass and the Crimea region because they want to be close to Russia. And they basically evacuated the rest of the country. Meanwhile, everybody else who's pro-Ukraine and views themselves as ethnically Ukrainian and stuff not only operates in the non-occupied regions, but in the occupied regions as well, because they interact all the time. And so Putin's plan, as much as anybody can you know, explain it to me, seems to be 
get NATO out of Poland or I will shoot my cousin. And it's just not convincing. And as much as they're going to, you know, they might want to try and claim this area, there's a lot of Russians are going to be really pissed at this dude. And, it, you know, there's, there's a little bit of wag the dog in this. There's a little bit of, like, posturing and, you know, like, telling people, either using RT or others inside Russia, that we actually got what we wanted and they're not going to join NATO and we talked them into it and we'll just fade back and we'll try this again in six months. Anytime we want some attention, we'll just move these same troops to the thing, watch them jump. And that'll be part of the, the idea. And because there's no value in it. He's going to lose 20,000 to 40,000 troops if he's lucky on that. I mean, and think about, how, think about if the United States t- decided to go into Yemen or, or one of these countries, and we lost 20,000, 30,000 soldiers doing that, politically, what that would do to us back home. And right. we are ginormous compared to Russia. Russia has the you know, economy smaller than California. And you know, they have a $66 billion military budget yearly. And again, they're running out of soldiers because they don't make enough kids. So their, their military is aging, and they don't have enough, you know, it, even if they wanted cannon fodder that, to be printed by the poorer Russians, they're not getting them at a fast enough clip. The Ukrainians, on the other hand, and parts of, you know, that area of Europe, Swedes and others, are actually making kids, um, the, mm. the NATO countries that are pushing back. But Russia isn't. And so it, they don't have the people to lose. So it's a, you know, it's a fascinating, um, you know, from a geopolitical and economic standpoint, in some ways they have to posture about this to, be, to uh, one last shot at relevance. But quite frankly, right. we saw what happened in Kazakhstan. All that had to do with the fact that the Kazakhstani uh, economy is, is nipping at Russia's heels, and the only reason they're not overtaking them entirely is because they're friendly and they don't have nukes the way Russia does, so they can't bully other people into doing business with them the way Russia can. But you know, Kazakhstan started to align with the Chinese to give them energy, and so they've got a big brother protecting them on one side and is, have as much of an ethnic tie – to the Chinese as they do to the Russians in terms of that. I mean, there's 200,000 Uyghurs on the Kazakh side of the border near uh, Xinjiang where the Chinese mm-hmm. are wrapping them up. Um, the, basically, the Chinese are bribing the Kazakh government to keep them on that side of the border so that they don't wander into the desert across there and try to free their relatives. And, right. And as much as, as much as Fox News wants to, like, say the world is laughing at us for getting out of Afghanistan, both Xi Jinping and Putin had a big panic attack. That's one of the reasons why we moved, you know, they're moving so fast is because we're out of Afghanistan. We're not wasting that money anymore. We've got all of our resources. They've packed up. We can move them wherever we want. And so they're, they're figuring if, while, while we're not feeling like being in a war again, if they tried to jump in and do it now, because we might get the itch in a couple of years, that's their concern. Uh, you know, even though that's not how we operate anymore, they don't need to know that. And so, you know, the, the Putin's basically thinking that, oh, crap, now they've got $300 million a day. They're not flushing down a toilet in Afghanistan. And the Chinese are feeling the exact same pressure. And now ATEM – uh, the, the Uyghur-allied Muslim ISIS group in Afghanistan is now setting its sights on China. And there's a, just a land bridge. There's a little 
piece of Afghanistan that goes you know, right past Kazakhstan and, and Pakistan and goes right up to China. And it's like a path that takes them right to where Xinjiang is. And that's China's big fear now because they used to be busy shooting at us. And now, they're, now they can, you know, go choose a different target, and it's going to be China. And there's real stuff. Do you find it odd how, how much, like, you know, for as much as Donald Trump tried to vilify the entirety of, of the Muslim population of the planet when he campaigned, you know, because he mm-hmm. basically campaigned, like, as a mini Hitler to try and just completely, like, just scapegoat all of our problems on a religion – um, right. You know, to now hear them try and be sympathetic towards the the Uyghurs in China, like it, it, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. just I can't I can't take it seriously. I can't I cannot take it ser- that yeah. they're concerned of course not. for the Uyghurs in China seriously at all. No, it's embarrassing. Especially, I mean, dude, they don't even care about the Afghans. The, it, like right. that was the whole thing was that they he and Stephen Miller rode the brake, getting people out of Afghanistan. As you know, the entire for the last two years, and I've said on my show many times, I blame Donald Trump for the deaths in the Afghan eva- evacuation because if he'd have done any of the work he was supposed to do based on the dateline to get out that he set, if he'd have done any of the proper work, removing and he, and he could have used COVID as a predicate. Sorry, we got to move half our embassy staff out. Sorry, we have to move our contractors out. Sorry, we have to move out some of our military guys because COVID is too dangerous and we can't interact with your soldiers right now, anyways. We'll give you all the material support. Here's your helicopters. Here's some guns. But we're not going to be here when it happens. He could have moved out so many of those people in the process, including other, you know, the Afghans that helped us. Like, these people are just going to help us move some stuff, and then they never come back. He could have used that whole year to do that, and he did none of it because he didn't want any of the Afghans out. And ultimately, if you listen to his rally, he never intended to leave Afghanistan. Never. He was going to keep Bagram Air Force Base because he thought it was necessary being near to China. And it ain't. It's, a, it's, it's desert wasteland. They don't need that area. They make weapons out there because they, they can pollute it all they want. Right. So it, at no point was he intending on getting out of there, and he, didn't, and he certainly wasn't going to take the Afghans that helped us. That, was, that wasn't going to happen. So no, ultimately, I'm... yeah, he did everything he could to, to hamstring the exit. And when Biden came in and said, no, I, I was told the same line of BS – when I was vice president, I heard the same crap coming out of Trump's mouth, you know, when he ran on getting us out of there. And then in 2017, he comes in and gives this speech about, well, we need to stick around a little while longer. We're this close, right? And, and Biden was like, this is the same crap we were saying because tell- the generals were telling us the same thing. And so as soon as he got in, they were like, if all we need is like eight more months. And he was like, BS, goodbye. We got this date. We'll push it a little bit to try and get some of these folks out, but we're gone. 20 years is long enough. Bye. And he did it. And, so, and as much as the Republicans think they're going to run in 2018 on the Afghan evacuation, and they're going to, you know, in August of this year, watch Fox News do a, it's been one year, not recognizing right. that what they're showing the entire country is, yeah, we've been out for a whole year. We were in for 20, uh, and Biden was in for a full six months, and he got us out. Um, that I don't think they grasp how important leaving was and how nobody – I don't think the vast majority of Americans, as much as it polled ugly, or they, because some of them believed that there was a magic plan where you could get out of a country you've been in for 20 years easily 
without doing some major homework, none of which was done because Trump didn't want to. Um, you, if you speak realistically to almost anybody about this, the reality is they're just glad we're out. There aren't any of these, like, soldiers returning from Afghanistan videos happening at Christmas this year because they all right. came home. And, that's, and there aren't going to be next year and the year after that and the year after that. And Democrats can say that, you know, like full-throated, you know, we're not in Afghanistan because Biden got us out. And, yes, it was tough, but it didn't have to be that tough. It's just that Trump set the deadline and did none of the homework. So he put us behind the eight ball, caused a crush at the airport, and ISIS took advantage of it and killed a bunch of people. And more than likely, the Taliban let that person through because there was such a brain drain happening because all the Afghans that were, you know, they could run anything were running for the hills. And the, and the Taliban wanted to scare them away from the airport. So they let some dude slip through and blow himself up. So they figured you'd stay in town until the Americans were gone, and then they'd keep you and make you run, you know, keep the traffic lights on. So it was always going to be ugly. And I guarantee, by the way, the reason Trump never got out is because every assessment they told him was the day we tell him we're going to leave, like the last 10 days is going to be a bloodbath. They're going to take over the country. We're going to get out. What everybody said, you know, they told him the same thing that Biden told him. You're going to take a huge hit in the polls. And Trump being a coward and having no tactical brain whatsoever just immediately – um, went, okay, well, no, we'll punt that. I can, well, I'll do that in the second term when I don't have to worry about getting reelected. I'll do it like a miracle in the, you know, right. in the end of it, you know, when I've, when I've, you know, signed off on whoever I want to be president, make it their problem. And then closer we got to that date, I guarantee we'd still be at Bagram. We'd have 4,000 soldiers because he'd have to put more in there to hold Bagram. Right. That was his goal. And then th- whoever he put in as president, he'd be like, this will be your deal. I'll give you, I gave them a plan to get out, and then he'll leave office, and they'll stay in because it was all BS to begin with. And so uh, they, they really do think they're going to run on this. They really, you know, uh, if, I, if I've spoken to any maggot friends that I have who are full-in Trumpers, what they believe is that that's the big win. And I, hmm. I, I got to say they're wrong. They're so wrong. And, they're go- and, and it's going to be very disappointing, that the- and they won't understand why Americans don't understand what a big deal this is to them. And, and what they don't understand is that everybody promised to get out. Biden did it. That's the sentence. That's it. Biden did it. Trump so. ran on getting us out. Biden did it. You know, Trump ran on infrastructure week. Biden did it. I mean, the dude is going to go down in history – as one of the greatest presidents we've had, just like Jimmy Carter, ultimately. Because Jimmy Carter, um, sorry for all the, the maggots at home, but Carter created twice as many jobs as Trump did, and they both had one term. Right. When, by the way, there were fewer people in the country and less money to be had. Fair enough. So, like, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm not worried about Biden's chances at all, and I'm not worried about the, um, uh, the fall unless it's just a, a question of narrative. And if I have anything to say about it, um, I'm going to be beating my chest about all this stuff. And I don't think I'll be alone. Well, I'll be right there with you. But, the, you know, what, what, one of the things that does concern me, though, you know, we have, you know, always, it's always like conservatives making the mess and then the Democrats mm-hmm. having to clean it up. And then if the Democrat sure. stumbles while cleaning it up, the conservatives like, look, you screwed it up. Instead of saying, well, you made the mess. You know, so, right. so I, I, I broke a dish. 
that that you left on the floor because but you made the mess like or like you have the yeah, I don't I don't the, even have that again I I think that's that's a conversation that may have happened in in uh, the second term of Bill Clinton or even during the second term of uh, Obama but I think Biden being as old as he is and mm-hmm. kind of being in DGAF mode uh, about a bunch of this stuff and knowing that he'd rather get some genuine points on the board than be liked even even though he's a pretty likable guy, um, I think he—he's just—he's doing things in a way that they're just getting done. And anything that isn't getting done that he's getting crap for is actually coming from you know the the left flank. Um, and and what I would say to them is, we have 48 Democrats in the Senate. We don't have 50. We have 48. There are two independents that caucus with us including Bernie Sanders, who is not a Democrat, who uh, only is a Democrat when he's running for president. And so we have work to do because there's no reason, considering what we do and how we do it, that we shouldn't have 60 Democrats in the Senate. That's our work right. to do. It, it, that that should be the goal, thinks, get 60 in the Senate. That's right, 100%. And, and, and uh, we can have a narrow margin in the House if you want, but the, right. the Senate is – you know, we've got work to do. And anybody who thinks <clears throat> that they should be able to steamroll anything they want to do, any plans they have, any bills, any things that they want to accomplish, because they have 48% of the Senate, right. should be ashamed of themselves. I don't, I don't know where you get that's – tr- that's Trump ego. That's what that is. Right, like like everyone's like, well, the Democrats have to, like that's one of the biggest things, one of the biggest arguments I have, especially on Twitter, with 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 you know people who you know, I call myself a pragmatic progressive, uh, but the people sure. who are I guess less pragmatic and who are like, well, well, we have the votes. I'm like, where, where did you have the votes? No, we, we don't. I even argue it. Like we didn't even have the votes. Like people don't understand. Like back in 2010 when Obama was president yeah. and we were trying to get the Affordable Care Act passed. There was only six months of time, and that's not even contiguous, where you had 60 votes in the Senate to do anything right. and get whatever, yep. whatever you wanted passed. And that six, that, those six months, that's, that's not working days. That, that was probably like 40-something well, working days. Right, and you, uh, you're assuming also even that 60-vote majority of the, in that narrow thread that all of those people uh, who agreed on the problem – agreed on the solution right and, and they didn't. just because they might yeah they didn't and many of them you know were right about elements of it and their argument had validity and if you'd have shown up to vote and kept them in there the solution that would have come would have come a lot closer to what you actually wanted long term you know even you know even in the medicare for all crowd but because it was take my ball and go home time uh, that you know, and teed up the possibility of a Trump presidency that by that very action, um, it didn't happen. And even still, the ACA passed, and even still, it saved you know tens of millions of lives. Right. Period. Over time, the number of people who will you know uh, who either stayed on their parents' insurance or had insurance themselves and didn't go bankrupt or were able to have a kid instead of losing their ability to procreate because of a disease or something that would have gone untreated, um, now can have children that will have children that will have children that will live long and healthy and happy lives because of that change. 
one that you know some folks would have flushed down the toilet because of an all or nothing it's better to go down swing and then win half measures and in reality you know i often say revolution is the you know the six minute abs of democracy that it's a sales <laughs> point it's like fen fen it's not a weight loss and nutrition plan it's just stomach surgery and that can't be how you govern and if it is you should only be able to govern like that when you have an 80-20 majority, when you're so convincing and everybody's on board with that solution that we all agree on the surgery. But they don't want to go that far. They want to, you know, the idea is, is that they want this to be like, look, I know what's best for you. I know I've only got, you know, it's a 50-50 coin toss, and I've got less than 50% of the argument, but you got to trust me and get under the knife. And... For me, there's so much about this that is, you know, there's so much ego in it that I think a lot of the people who are myopic in their own solution can't see that. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I often say, and I've often stolen from Obama, I think I've heard you say this as well, like, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. (laughs) Yes, right. And, And by the way, nobody does that. Like who, you know, if you have a child, you raise a human being. If you get a kitten or a puppy, you raise a a pet. You don't just go, can you, is there, can you shoot a ray at this cat and avoid all the parts that are difficult that I have to, all the worry and all the middle part, that's the icky part where I have to pay attention. Can't you just fix this cat into, you know, a behaving or whatever it is. And that. That, I think, is a point of arrogance. It's, and, and in many ways, especially when you're dealing with life and death issues, um, is, is grotesque. I find, it, I find that level of arrogance grotesque, and it's the way Trump acts. And I don't approve of it when, him, when he and his crowd do it, so why would I approve of it when my side does it? Right. You know, it doesn't make any sense. So, I, you know, my thing is, is that you, you treat the country like you have a mortgage – and you treat your body like a temple, and you treat your politics like you intend to be voting, you know, your beliefs, your, the, the end of your life. And if you're ever presented in a situation with a choice that, uh, that people are saying is the lesser of two evil, that's an easy choice to make. Choose less evil every right. single time. Absolutely. Always choose less evil, because if you don't choose at all, you guarantee a gap where more evil can happen. It is right. your responsibility. And if you're like, but I don't want it, then you're too childish to have your decisions have any value because I will weigh that against any of the solutions to problems. If you are arguing all these different solutions and saying we should have this and we should have this, I have to go, yeah, but that's coming from somebody who can't even vote two cycles in a row. So why would I think your solution, which comes from a brain like yours, would actually work for a couple of decades? Why wouldn't right. I believe – that your plan, whatever it is, wouldn't collapse in six years and eat itself, cause inflation or a rise in Medicare, uh, medical prices or something like that, because everything else you're talking about seems to, you know, ha- die on the vine. Why would this? Right. Be if, you, if you're so if you're so short-sighted that you have to take your ball and go home, or you have to, you, you can't vote, you yeah. know, in multiple elections in a row, then then how, how am I supposed to trust your plan? Yeah, because sure. it will be born of the same intellect that takes their ball and goes home. Um, that, that's madness. 
and I, and I refuse to do it. And I'm committed to, you know, the, what I believe is the good work of being a decent citizen for my whole life. And, you know, and it falls sometimes into that area of, you know, planting a tree you will never live to sit under the shade of. But, you know, that, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But if you're like, no, as a matter of fact, if, if I can't grow the tree I want to grow, I'm going to chop down your trees then. That right. ain't happening. And there's a lot of that going around on, you know, on both sides of the aisle. It's the one sort of overlap. And a lot of it has to do with social media and how people talk and sort of the childish nature of that. And there's certainly a lot of, um, you know, Russian and Chinese fussy in the messaging around that. So I don't take it too seriously. But if right. I ever one-to-one talk to somebody like that, um, you know, my response is, is, you know, is a natural form of disgust because it means it says to me that they're not taking it seriously, that they want a quick fix or none at all. Uh, life is not an app. Neither is democracy and treating and acting as if it should be is, uh, it is, it's disrespectful to your, to your life and the life of everyone you come in contact with every child in the country, every old person, every person you agree with and every person you disagree with. So I just won't play a part in that, you know, and, uh, and I feel like weaponized silliness gives me a lot of latitude to actually benefit people. So I can feel happy about my, you know, a good day's work. Yeah. Yeah. And and listening to what you've done and, and, and and your career, Mm -hmm. you have lots of, lots of good days of work. And and I've, you know, I've, I've I've been listening to your podcast of more and more. Yeah. And I think anybody listening to this, you know, you, you, you know the issues. You have the issues down, down pad. You, you're, 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 you are probably the most informed somebody who, if, if somebody's like how, if somebody says how Sparks, the guy from Talk Soup, is really knows a lot about politics, he might be like, really? It's like, no. I mean, just listen, listen, yeah. listen to this show, listen to your show. You know, you, you, right. you've got a, a lot of the information on. Uh, you know, and and Thanks, right about a lot of it. You know, I was very, very impressed. One of the other things I was impressed. Um, to kind of go back in, in earlier in your in your career, and, and you've talked about this, yep. I'm sure, a bunch before. But when you were um, like, you got the the I guess the pilot script for for Queer Eye, not Queer Eye. I'm sorry, Queer as Folk. Uh, Queer as Folk. Yeah, yes, Queer, Queer as Folk. Folk. Yep. Um, and like the the your 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 representation at the time was hesitant to give it to you and was like kind of like, you know, yeah. here, don't look at it. And, and you were like, no, I have to do this. And then I have to dump y'all because y'all won't, you know, y- y'all treated the script that way. Like, well, the, you know, the reality is I, I had those agents for a couple more years afterwards, but it was their inability to see past it. That ultimately was the reason that, um, that I left. And the, the, the truth is because they, they weren't going to have any, you know, they weren't going to be able to be visionary in anything else. They weren't visionary in that sense. On the other hand, to be completely frank, mm-hmm. they were right on some fronts. They were right to be concerned about their own bottom line because their client was taking a project that would absolutely um, tourniquet other la- avenues of making a living. Because at that time, there was enough bigotry in the industry as much as it supposedly, you know, it, you know, Greg Kelly and everybody at Newsmax will tell you about liberal Hollywood, but that's nonsense. They're there to make right. money. And they were aware, um, all of them, you know, that this wasn't going to land with a good portion of America, even though it, you know, over time it grew on a lot of people. Um, it took, you know, 
I, because I had a career beforehand, and quite frankly, because I'm a stand-up comedian and can reinvent myself anytime I want, I had more flexibility than the other actors on the show. And mm-hmm. I'm the only one that ended up with another series that was my own, you know, that had any legs on it. And I had to work a lot to do that. I had to, you know, the, I love the 70s, 80s, and 90s, those kind of things. I did those on purpose to define myself as an individual beyond my own character so that uh, people would recognize that I was doing work and not fall into the kind of game that people play about, you know, that kind of a character and what it must mean to who you are and, and all that. And that was, that was part of the issue at the time. You know, th- things have changed. This, this, we are in a different world now. And right. that's a great thing. And I feel like I, uh, I'm lucky enough to have played some part in that shift in my life as an artist. I really do feel like, you know, I helped, you know, connect the dots for some people and, and remove some of their layers of bigotry that might make them act a little better. Um, I wasn't about preaching to the choir. I was about making people, you know, who wouldn't normally be on the team understand people that they, you know, assumed were different or bad or had an evil agenda or any of that nonsense. And so, um, but my agents at the time who didn't want me to do the show were looking at the fact that I just left Talk Soup. I was in Dude, Where's My Car? It was about to come out. And if they could get me on a sitcom, I'd make a lot more money than some pokey little Showtime show that may or may not go right. because it's so extraordinarily, you know, dicey. And if it did go, it might, uh, you know, sequester me into a, a role like even, you know, happened to – what was the last big actor that took that shift was Harry Hamlin, mm-hmm. who was, you know – I mean, he looked like Jim Morrison. He'd start in – uh, Clash of the Titans, he was on his way, and then he did Make in Love, where he played a bisexual man, career's over. Took him 10 years to get L.A. Law, to go back on, on a TV series. And so they were aware of that, you know what I mean? They didn't have any illusions about this part of it. And yet, at the same time, to me, it passed what I called the Malkovich test. It was worth doing, therefore do it. Right. You know, and, and so, as a Chicago actor, that was kind of my standard. Um, and that and it and it had all the value that I hope it did, and I I have no regrets about doing it at all. But I at, over time watching my fellow actors on the show who are incredibly talented, um, you know, it was basically Sharon Gless and I were the ones that had our own acting roles afterwards of Mary mm-hmm. got our own shows, and Sharon was always going to she you know she's been around forever, so she was not going to be harmed by the show even if it was a complete failure. Um, whereas I had just come off of Talk Soup and I had, you know, I was basically on the rise and had name recognition. Um, but I had to, you know, I had to do a lot of work in the beginning of that to make sure that I kept working so that other people wouldn't be afraid to take this role again. Right. Because that's the other thing. I, there was a sense of, like, purpose and responsibility that I felt that if I fail, if I do this role and then I never work again, because of the bigotry of the industry or something like that. If I don't find a way to make this work, we're a decade away from other people playing roles like this again, because everybody will take this as a warning. And they, and right. they, and they wouldn't be wrong. They, you know, Hollywood wouldn't be up to the standard doing that. So I, I was like, you know, taking the job and trying to do something that was reflective of the community and, and helpful and portraying a character that I, 
I was like, if people can fall in love with this guy, they'll see past their own shortcomings, their own xenophobia, their own, uh, you know, you know, like anti-gay tendencies, whatever. That pressure was there. But the other thing was that if I don't have a career past this, other actors are going to, I mean, not, not just straight actors not playing these roles anymore, but also gay actors feeling like they have to stay in the closet to be able to play other stuff because look what happened to these folks. You know, but it, a, and it's interesting because I think one of the one of the things that I think that you had um, with with the character because I think your character was was closeted at first, right? And then yep, there yep. was there was a push to to have him come out of the closet early, and you were like, well, if you do that, then you're not giving you're, you're basically yeah. having an entire show of everybody in the show who's who's out of the closet and not giving the people who are currently living in the closet, somebody to look to and say, okay, I can identify with this person. And right. so I think you, and you and fought for that, right? People, yeah. In, in uh, growing up, you know, in Kentucky, I knew, you know, closeted gay people, friends that I had that were basically afraid for their lives all the time. And if what we showed every week was just like a pride march and it was no big deal. And every character just kind of shrugs it off. And it was like a fantasy land where wouldn't it be nice, none of them are going to be able to relate to that. And so they, they came to me in the second year, and they're like, we'd like you to come out, you know, and we want to do this scene. And I said, I feel like it's wrong. I feel like, because everybody's out on the show. No one represents how these people feel. And, and ultimately, Michael stayed in the closet for all practical purposes until the final episode, after I'd nearly been killed um, in the, you know, when the, you know, the person – bombed the the club because they were raising money for gay marriage mm. and uh you know and that was you know michael comes out when he's got scars on his face you know and that was that was his big wake up and and you know i had a whole backstory as to why because i had to create it and in the depth of that backstory that i had created for the character it was it wasn't in the script but they'd never answered it but it, it there were too many questions in his life that had to be answered I had to I had to have a reason why his mother was the most supportive person in the world and his best friend was the most out gay man in the entirety of the city and yet he was in the closet still at 30 years old there had to be a reason and it had to be uh in his cells it had to be pathological because of some experience he had and and that he couldn't tell anybody what it was he couldn't talk about it or he would have and 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 carrying that around once they said we are, we think you should come out it was that was such a big reversal of that story in my own head and the creation of the character would gave him some depth. I just, uh, I, that's where I was like, nope, none of my business, how he expresses himself. Cause I'm a straight guy playing a gay character. But I do know from my experience with my friends that are gay, that are, you know, majority of which were in the closet at the time that somebody's got to speak to and for them in the show and nobody else could. I was the last one. So, it was a it was a fascinating endeavor. It was a very tough thing for me to even say that because, you know, being a straight actor playing the role and having my execs be a gay couple that have been together forever, you know, I had to I had to like say something to them which seemed like how would I know? But on the other hand, since they've been out and in Hollywood and an out couple for a long time, how would they know? How would they know what it's like to be in Toledo or Lexington, right. Kentucky? And or Knoxville, Tennessee, and be afraid for their life. They went to parties in West Hollywood every weekend. They couldn't have been 
in a more supportive environment. They hadn't experienced a negative environment probably since the early 70s in reality. So mm-hmm. I felt, you know, that's where the responsibility came in. And I, I think it's great that how, how, you know, I mean, clearly not just, it wasn't just a role for you. You clearly cared about the character and you clearly fought for yeah. what the character should be. And, you know, you, you took ownership of it and, and, and had it, had it, you know, it, yeah, it worked out, it worked out well. Through the, yeah. It's shepherding this character through, you know, you're, you're, you're given this treasure that it is yours to guard and, and polish. And, you know, and I, you know, I wouldn't change a line of dialogue. I occasionally would get, like, they would make him, they had a, a joke because they liked that I was funny. They liked my stand-up mm-hmm. or something. So they'd give Michael a joke. And I'm like, I, all due respect, but Michael's not funny. He's <laughs> accidentally funny sometimes. But he's not the kind, he doesn't have that kind of a wit. That's a Brian thing. Brian's very witty. Michael is not. He's too innocent for that kind of stuff. So, you know, and they would rewrite it to more fit the character. It'd still be funny, but it was based on, like, sort of the timing of how he spoke and when he spoke that made it funny more so than just, you know, a witty turn of phrase. Right. But the rest of it I just left as it was, you know. And, and uh, it, it was a great experience. It was, you know, and it was nice as a comedian Having, you know, like I said, just come off talk soup and dude, where's my car to be trusted with something that had some depth like that um, of, of drama and, and, you know, relationships that I wouldn't have necessarily been given had I walked into, you know, a role on King of Queens or something. Right. Which would have been, you know, a lot more lucrative, but like emotionally and artistically wouldn't have done anything to move where I was going forward. Well, I think I found it, and, and not not being a, a comedian myself, not being somebody who's who's, right. who's tried to make a living as a comic. You know, I'm I'm a funny guy. I like mm-hmm. to think, but you know, I'm not a I'm 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 not in the business. But I think like to, to be a successful in a stand-up comic, you know, I think I, my impression of it is part of it is you have to have a good understanding of just you know people in general and and reality, how the world works or whatever. And I think right. by, by by picking apart, you know what, you know what exists in the life that we live in and in the world that we live in, you know, right. and, and you have to have a better understanding of it to be able to make the funny parts of it. You also have to understand the, the not so funny parts. And that's why I think a lot of the times where you can have a, a somebody who is known as a, you know, stand up comedian, you know, do really well in serious roles because they, it, mm-hmm. it, they're, they're, they're not just understanding the funny parts. You have to understand all of the parts, and and that's kind of what I've seen. Yeah, like, you, I mean, know. We, you get pain, and you get why it needs to be alleviated, and you're not you're you recognize it as real, but you also don't overdo it. And it's one thing that I think dramatic actors who are, have a com- a comedy background, one of the things that they are really good at is not overselling the drama, and you know allowing for it because they're not as committed to um, watch how hard I can cry. It's right. about how this really feels. And, and as comedians, too, you're used to, like, dealing with serious emotions um, either, you know, through comedy or through stoicism or some variance there. You don't, you've chosen a different path in dealing with life's challenges. So your first reflex isn't to fall apart. And so your characters won't go that way either. There's a tremendous amount of value 
um, to, I think, a, a, you know, comedians looking at a character, the perspective you can bring to a dramatic character is unique because of that very thing, because nobody else is going to, nobody else experiences life the way comedians do, because we can't. We have to look at life in what I, you know, in a, to use a martial arts term, in cutting angles, that instead mm-hmm. of, you know, attacking things head on, you're getting them at a 45-degree angle. And that, that off-kilter view of the world, of dealing with challenges by letting the majority of its weight pass you and striking it on the way, which is what comedy really boils down to, is a valuable way of handling real stress, real life problems. It's not, um, you know, avoidance, as some people will think. It's not Mm -hmm. dismissal. It's not pretending the problem doesn't exist. It's saying that, yeah, this is a problem. Life is full of problems, and I'm not going to let this particular one overwhelm me simply because it seems insurmountable right now. I, 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 I have no reason to believe it'll be the worst problem I ever encounter. So why would I let it eat me? Right. As, I, as, uh, I, you know, and I, I love that gift. I love, you know, that the perspective that that's given me as a human being. The Demonox, the first liberal to enter into a Patreon goes, the comedian points out the absurdity of the world, including the uncomfortable and makes us confront it all with laughter. So, but, but even then, sure. even without the laughter though, like, you know, one of my favorite movies is, um, is Awakenings with Robin Williams and Robert De Niro and, sure. and Robin Williams is very serious role. And it, it's very well done. And I think, I think that part of it is, is just how, you know, he was able to approach it with, with, with exactly what you said, you know, with, with how yeah, very aware of, he's aware of how other people hurt. And that's also what a comedian tries to do. A lot of times when we're trying to lift the people around us, the comedians who've grown up with addiction know this very well. And uh, my buddy, Christopher Titus has talked about mm-hmm. this a lot, but when you're, your parents or your parents' friends or the world around you is full of addicts. You, you, you see the sorrow and you try to lift them up past it so they won't need their crutch as much. And you, if you can let off that steam for them, they really don't. You really can give them a moment of clarity. And that's why I have so much respect for like pulp comedy because sometimes it's just sitting there and watching something that just makes you laugh. Um, can give you that pause away from the pain of life and the the challenge that you're dealing with. So you can have a little bit of perspective and not take it so seriously and go, I can over, I can overcome this. Whereas if you feel overwhelmed by it because it's so serious and it's so real and it's so in your face and it's so, and everywhere you turn, um, this is why I'm not, uh, you know, I'm against all canceling of comedians because just because you don't like this take doesn't mean somebody else doesn't need it right now to get a grip on an issue that might seem out of their grasp and might be dragging them on their way to extremism if they don't have this out. Yeah. And so you have to give them that space. You know, uh, I, you know, to me, comedy clubs are like swingers clubs. You don't go in there if you're a prude. It's none of your business. <laughs> it's, a safe space. it's a safe space for something you never intended to participate in. And if you ever go into a swingers club and start going, you sh- people should be ashamed of yourself. Don't you believe in monogamy? They like, you have no right to be there. That's as much an assault as anything else. And, it, you know, as a metal fan, I've grown up my entire life and been in my fair share of mosh pits. And I know people who come to the shows or come to see other bands that had a, you know, there was a mosh pit from the band before and they look at it and they're like, Oh my God, everyone's fighting. You're like, no, you don't understand. They do this here. So they don't fight. They get right. out here. It's a safe space for it. 
Comedy clubs are the same place. If you can laugh about something, even if it seems mean and cruel, it takes away the mean and genuine cruelty out in the world. It's how some people get rid of it. And if you don't let them, you, all you do is release real cruelty in the world. And that's exactly what's happened. The more strict we've been about what people can joke about, the more abject cruelty we see in people's personal interactions. Nothing's, you know, if you don't let anything be funny because it might offend or hurt someone's feelings or whatever, what it is is you just leave people to hurt someone's feelings. That offending people becomes more important. And that's wrong. That's dangerous. It's a mistake. And it endangers lives, genuinely. Um, and so comedy is one of those things where people get caught in a psychological, philosophical, emotional, or, or political cul-de-sac that over time will wind up into a tornado and do very bad things. And a comedian, you know, people could stand there at that cul-de-sac and go, we're all going this way down the road. Get out of there. That's a cul-de-sac. And they'll go, no, it isn't. I live here. I like this. And they'll fight with you about it, right? Whereas a comedian can come by and go, I've been caught in a cul-de-sac. We all get caught in a cul-de-sac. Sometimes I prefer a cul-de-sac, but right now we're all going this way. And that people ease out of that catch. You can talk them out of it sweetly. But now, so, now some people start, who claim to be canceled, though, are really not canceled. Like, you know, Joe Rogan will say something like, I'm a white guy. I can't say anything to an audience of a million people or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't Well, I don't know um, any direct quote where he said that. And I think he feels I think his problem is that he feels free to say almost anything. Um, right. And without any within without any reference to the people that he's talking to, because, again, you're, as a comedian, you're not a direct philosopher. You're not a lecturer you have a responsibility to lighten the load of it with comedy you have to be funny funny is the first part of it if you're not funny whatever you're saying isn't meant to be funny if it's just you know castigation or rude or dismissive or whatever but it's not a well-constructed joke then that's not that's not your comedy that's being criticized that's you being an asshole beg your pardon um yeah (laughs) but that's you know that's crucial to, to the entire thing. And whatever, uh, you know, I believe you can joke about any subject. You just have to have jokes strong enough to hold it up because you can't put a, a boulder on toothpicks. If the heavier a subject, the more structure it needs to hold it up. A light subject about nothing requires no effort. If you're just talking, what is the deal with you know, <laughs> McDonald's? Who you know, are these people? Does, you can, right. You can, you can, a puff of air can keep that afloat. And it has no weight to it, so it doesn't need the substructure. But if you're talking about something politically charged or emotionally charged or physically charged, then you have to go, all right, how do I get to the joke on this right away, make people recognize that we're joking around the subject without joking about the subject or re-victimizing anybody or being a jerk? How do we do that? And then once it's up and you know that, and we've got a set of rules where the audience knows I'm not – I mean no harm, and then we're trying to talk about something because people have a lot of questions and confusions about this, and nobody has the answers yet. So we got to be able to talk about it and move on. Otherwise, it festers like a sore. Um, and then I could start making those jokes. We get it up in the air, and then we all walk away fine. Maybe having learned something, maybe, maybe later on we explore ourselves. Next time, maybe the next time we're encountering this thing, whatever it is, we laugh in response. In, in the moment where we might have felt the tinge of anxiety or worry or anger. Mm-hmm. And then we can deal with it or speak with it with a, a more lighthearted nature. We can listen easier. 
because we're not carrying the the weight of it. Does that make sense? Oh, that so, absolutely makes um, sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I, whenever anybody tries to cancel a comedian or, you know, like I, I happen to think like the Chappelle story, you know, is the freshest one and most people were talking about when he was right. talking about his trans friend that committed suicide. It's a very touching story. And in many ways, what he was talking about, the anger he seemed to feel was not directed at the trans community as a whole, but the online activist side of things which means you're talking to a different group of people. You're not talking about the, to the average trans person, as it were, living mm-hmm. their life trying to, you know, be themselves. <clears throat> you're talking about people who are politically trans and therefore have a, have a um, they have a dog in this fight about being known and, and people being aware that they're trans when a lot of other people who are trans simply are trying to live their life as the gender they identify with. That right. makes sense for them. And which is contrary to being public, you know, it's like, like trans day of visibility. You know, I know I have a couple of trans friends who think that's the most ridiculous idea in the world because the idea is that they don't want to be visible about it. They just want to be themselves. And to them right. being themselves means not being visible as trans, but as a woman or a man in their circumstance. And if they're made, if they're forced to be known as trans, it goes against the entire reason that, of them just being themselves. And so it's a moment, you know, it's a day of anxiety and pain for them. But if you listen to the activist class, that's the day, that's their day. That's their holiday. So mm-hmm. it's a different group of human beings. And, well, you, I, I, and, I, and when you're, yeah. And you're I, I, know, I mean, I know there are people like I've, I've, I've had a yeah. guest on the show before a trans woman yeah. who, you know, is very open about the fact that she's a trans woman and she's trying to, but, but, you know, and there, I, I think it's fine for people to, you know, I think it's great that people are willing to do that. I also understand the sure. argument of, you know, people are like, well, I, I don't want, you know, I just rather people just know me as me and not identify me yeah. for being trans. I just right. happen and, to and, be. And those, what I'm saying is those groups of people exist. They right. both exist. And you talk to those groups of people differently. You don't just assume, well, they're trans and get kind of like racial or tribal about it, that like all trans people are a monolith that think and feel a certain way, and they'd all be glad if I told the office that they're trans, right? right? That's not necessarily true. It's not right to assume it. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's like thinking all black people are a monolith. They're all Hispanic people are Asian or white people are right. a monolith. It's wrong, right? And well, so like, oh, I'm Jewish. I was raised Jewish. And, and when Donald That's Trump right. is like, I don't understand, you know, why Jews don't like me. Well, because you don't understand Jews, and then Jews are not a monolith. Just because your daughter right. married somebody who's Jewish doesn't mean you understand Jews. <laughs> right, exactly. And and doesn't mean that you you individually, as a Jewish person, speak for all Jews. It's a, right. You know, that's exactly. the beauty about humanity. That's the whole point. And so, you know, that's an, you know, and that's an area where there's a great conversation to be had about the diversity of thought within the diversity of thought. And that diversity, as we like to celebrate it, um, does not mean – Finding someone who thinks like you but looks different. Right. You know what I mean? You can't just go find a black person, if you're white, that thinks the way you think already and go, aha, I can disown my problem out of existence. I, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, have, I found a black person that thinks exactly like me. Therefore, I have solved the diversity issue. No, you're not listening to someone diverse. You've just gone and found someone who looks, you know, it's, it's it, in that effect, I guess, tokenism. But 
you, you have a responsibility, I think, if you want diversity of thought, to listen to the diversity of thought that exists not only in your own community, but in other communities. And then you also, what I think that ultimately does, and I think there's a gift in every challenge, and the gift in that challenge is recognizing that, oh, that's why my solution that I have horse blinders on that I know will fix something is not necessarily convincing to a certain swath of people. You know, it's right. not because they're bad necessarily. It's because they, do, they don't either trust it or understand it or I'm not communicating it well or I'm communicating it in a way that seems kind of singular and immovable and they don't, you know, they, they're pushing back on my, you know, kind of mechanical and uh, insistent way of presenting my idea and they're feeling bullied by by my idea and not supported by it. So, okay, how do I phrase it differently? If you don't listen to anybody or talk with anybody who differs with you on that opinion, you won't ever change the way you communicate your ideas. And then you, you'll wake up one day and none of your ideas have made it to the floor because right. nobody, A, knows what you're talking about because you, you speak in nothing but jargon. Like you've got a one note, you know, vocal way of speaking. You speak only in jargon that only your side understands. And you can't clarify your jargon to anybody who doesn't. So you might as well be the one person speaking a foreign language in a crowd in another country. Nobody knows what you mean. And, yeah, they should, and, and, and but then you become the American tourist going, what I'm, I am looking for <laughs> the bathroom, you know, which yeah. we always see as the ugly American traveling. But in the middle of Paris going, yo necesito un baño, por favor. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You, you have to use the language that fits the area and understand how to communicate that idea out of respect for where you are. You do it in a foreign country. Why wouldn't you do it in a different group of human beings? What's different right. about those people other than the fact that they come from your own country, colloquialisms, different ways of uh, conversing, what's, uh, what they, their level of importance, all those things are valuable. And if you can, if you can tap the brakes a little bit on your, you know, on, you know, being offended or, your curiosity is why people don't seem to understand that your way is the right way. You can go, okay, the reason they don't understand is because I'm not communicating it well. I'm coming at it like I'm talking to somebody who's already on the team. Well, what good is that? Right. Well, how am I ever going to expand the team if I only speak in my own jargon? You know, if I only speak French and I never leave Quebec, um, right. you know, how am I going to speak to the rest of Canada? They've got a whole other country. Yeah, they learned it in school, but are they really going to use it? And do they get mad when I try? You know, that, that kind of, you know, that wall we put up ourselves, that's the part where you can claim responsibility. And once you do that and you listen to people who, you know, you agree on the problem, you might not agree on the solution, maybe you can eventually talk them into your solution, but you'll understand how to do it. And then once you can convince them, you might be able to convince other people that, feel that way, um, but use that other jargon, you'll learn their language. You'll learn their, you know, the crucial aspects of what will convince them. Right. And that, I, I, that's where you really start moving the needle. That, that's one of the reasons why I like the fact, like, you know, a lot, you know, one of my more regular callers to the show is, is, is somebody who's a conservative out from California. Like, you know, then, and right. you know, when they, they, they like mention something to me that say like, you know, well, you word something this way and, and it doesn't really, you know, maybe consider wording a different way. And, and I learned from them yeah. and I, I think I, I bettered myself in doing so. But a lot of the problems sometimes that, that ha happens 
with uh, you call it the activist class. I like to refer to some people as the overly woke. Uh, the people like they, yep. they they just you know there was a who's the comedian. Um, the, the example is like why are the brown owls, why are the brown owls in the can and the green owls are in the jar. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember who that comedian was, but th- th- that type of activism, like you know, have to right. nitpick everything, or or like there's the there's the folks that'll like will agree like on ninety five percent of everything, but that five percent mm-hmm. they will harp on that five percent, and you're a terrible person for the five percent, even though we agree right. on everything else. Now, but sometimes that five percent is a big deal. Like you know, I, I support you know universal health care for everybody and, and I think everybody should be able to you know there should be a minimum wage of, of, of $15 an hour and I'm a Nazi I mean sure yeah that course I'm not going to be mm-hmm. like I'm that that 5% might be a very big deal at that point but yeah generally speaking it's not but people make it into such a big deal that it that it makes communication impossible and it makes it even difficult to work together even on those things on those 95% of the things that you agree agree about so right well, that, that has a lot to do with those, those folks' um, commitment to a, a sort of narcissistic negativism because they believe that hope is unrealistic and has no value. And you're only genuine if you seek out the negative and everything. You, that proves you're looking at reality when you see the awful. And quite frankly, I just disagree. Because if you can't give people hope, you will never guide anyone out of the darkness, ever. And if all your stuff is just – and people will judge um, your path by how you live, how you feel, how you react to things. And if you're uh, you know, uh, woke and miserable, then people will eventually uh, tie woke to miserable. That's just a reality. And yeah, like woke, woke shouldn't necessarily that. be seen as a bad thing. Like woke, you know, like understanding of people's problems, and you know, you know, but but woke has become a pejorative amongst the conservative folks who who are like, you know, well, sure. we're not woke. Well, we know that, <laughs> but right, it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I have, um, you know, the, first of all, the phrase I've I've always felt, and this is maybe my overly woke part or something. But the, the phrase itself sounds like cultural appropriation of black language. So when, mm-hmm. I, when white liberals use it, I find it embarrassing. I mean, I, I know they mean well, but I, I do, it does put me off. It seems no, I, I, I get that. I get that. And when, yeah, and when, the, and when Republicans use it, I'm just uh, like, I'm like, oh, you just hate it because it's like a black phrase and you feel surrounded. <laughs> by right. by people using this black phrase all of a sudden like oh my god they're all talking black now you know like oh no <laughs> but for me um i don't necessarily believe it is indicative of the reality either i don't think that many of the people who would call themselves that or assist insist that they are that is that indeed i think they are just they've just found some jargon and they use it i had a buddy who i used to go to um uh, Marianne Williamson lectures with before I uh, started volunteering for her years ago and ran her lectures and did stuff like that. And he went all the time and he, he would use all the spiritual jargon all the time. Like mm-hmm. he would, you know, see the light in people and focus on it and da da da. And all the, all the phrases that you would hear at a thing like that. And I never saw him actually do it, but I saw him use the words constantly right. the words down the jargon he was killer with the jargon 
but he didn't feel any of it. He was miserable all the time. And uh, so I, I, it, it turned me off. I mean, I was always against kind of, uh, you know, isolationist language, you know, stuff that right. like, you don't use my phrase my way. You're not part of this. It just seemed very high school to me. So I have no interest um, in that kind of stuff. Um, but watching him do that, I recognize that that's a habit that a lot of people have. A lot of people do fall into that. As long as they're using the jargon, it's okay. And quite frankly, that's how Kristen Cinema got elected. She checked a bunch of boxes for a bunch of people who thought, well, she must be better than the, you know, the old white guy that's running against her because she's a blonde bisexual woman, you know, who wears funky clothes and dyes her hair like she's going to the Women's March. And she's got to be okay. I mean, look at her. And then, you know, in, in the, it's the same mistake people make when they look at Mike Lindell and he's got a cross on and you're like, but see, he's a Christian. Like, right. That's not convincing. It's behavior that defines that. And, right. and as a matter of fact, it, the more you wear that stuff, the more I am dubious about your true intentions. The more, you, more weight you put on jargon and, and, uh, and symbology, the more I'm like, this is, a, I mean, we're moved toward, away from religion toward the David Koresh situation. This is well, the kind of like you know, you know, with the people who like will call themselves woke or use other like or try and insist that they are this way. I like to kind of quote or paraphrase, you know, from Tywin Lannister from uh, Game of Thrones. Nobody who's a king has to call themselves a king. You know, nobody who's woke is really going to call them is really going to label themselves woke. Your your actions, you know, your actions are going to say whether or not you are that or not. The idea of if you meet, yeah, the idea of if you meet Buddha on the road, kill him. Um, and no true Buddhist would call themselves a Buddhist in that regard. Those kind of ideas have been around for a very long time. And there's a reason for that, because once you get into the sales part of it, and that's the problem with modern evangelical Christianity, is that it's based on the evangelical part. They are the sales right. force of Christianity. And there's a lot of people who sell cars they don't drive. And that's just the, you know, turning religion into yet another widget that you sell. Oh, yeah, it's fabulous. I have a couple of them at home, and you never they don't touch the thing. And um, the same thing can be true of, you know, any number of the male feminists who've been busted for sexual assault and those kind of things like that, that's part and parcel to how this works. So um, that's why I'm like, broaden your vocabulary. It's the same thing like when the, the right wingers are like, I got kicked off of Twitter for saying the truth. Like, no, you didn't. You got kicked off for using <laughs> racial pejoratives or being right. a bigot. You didn't get kicked off for the truth because there's a bunch of other people who believe the same crap you believe and they're still on there. So clearly you just have a limited vocabulary. And, right. um, and you got busted because you can't think past those limitations. Um, but when it comes to, you know, the responsibility to communicate to other people, if you really have any empathy, if you really are trying to show that you're the side that cares, that takes work. And it takes more work than just proving that you care about the easily cared about, you know, the people who are marginalized, you know, because – People on the left talk about marginalized people the way the right talks about the unborn. They don't hang out with them, right. but, they, but they sure talk a good game about caring about them in the process, right? I think our side right. does a little bit better actually following through. Um, you know, we don't abandon them at birth, but there is a, still a sort of creating, you know, talking about them as if they're a pet as opposed to a human being, you know, right. is not – like anybody else, not right 100% of the time, um, maybe not even 60% of the time, but that doesn't denigrate their, their humanity. That doesn't, 
deny their worth and their the fact that they should be able to live as they live as long as they harm no one else because that's always right. you know it's kind of like the conversation about BLM you know that they all they when you say Black Lives Matter they're always like all lives matter like dummy <laughs> that's that's where the phrase comes from because the concept right. is that all lives matter except black lives in these circumstances and therefore we're asserting the fact that black lives matter hashtag black lives matter right um, and exactly. if you believe in the the phrase and the and the system that doesn't necessarily mean that the organization that exists speaks to it any more than you believe in the concept of charity but you might not like the way the salvation army swings right you get there's you know or organizations are not the charitable thought that's in your heart they might represent it but they also might not so who cares and it doesn't and you don't get to define you know uh, the quality of the fact that I'm doing CPR on someone based on whether or not I like the Red Cross, you know, that's, it's immaterial. And, you know, and there's like the, I keep forgetting her, is it Barbara DeAngelis, the woman who wrote White Fragility or whatever? You know, a, a horrifyingly so, yeah. racist book by a brutally racist woman who, like a mental patient who believes that uh, they, they're Napoleon Bonaparte, and therefore, once they were healed and put on medication, what the, the conclusion they come to is that everyone must believe that they're Napoleon Bonaparte, um, mm. which is not. She's come to the conclusion that everyone has the same racist, broken thoughts she has because it's the only way her ego can survive. And so she goes around spouting this nonsense and creating more division than she solves. And, um, and that's, that's indicative, I think, of the worst version of – what, what people have as a problem with woke in the same way that evangelical Christians in many cases are poser Christians who don't believe a single thing about uh, the charity that Jesus spoke about couldn't, right. couldn't muster love thy enemy um, if, if they had a gun to their own head um, and nor would you expect them to, which is a shame because they, I mean, if you, and, and it, it, they don't need, yeah. ask them about acts four and five. I mean, that basically tells them to be socialists sure. and they don't want to hear about it. Right. Well, the, you know, the, the issue that, you know, that they have goes beyond that is that there must be a villain because the belief in the devil is the most important thing. And that they, right. the reason they use a phrase like Judeo-Christian is because they want to be able to pick and choose from the New Testament and the Old Testament depending on how they feel. So if they're yep. feeling particularly <laughs> magnanimous, then love thy neighbor and love thy enemy as thyself. Uh, but if they're feeling pissed, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that's right. It's it's easy. It's malleable as hell. Um, so um, no pun intended. But the, <laughs> the you know nice. the value of it has to be, you know, how how does the application of your belief affect the world? Whatever it is, that's what you always have to constantly look at. What's the impact you're having in the world? What's the is it really changing something? Or are you just gathering in an angry circle? I went to an acting class. I hadn't gone to uh, like an acting study group since I was in high school. Like in, and in 92, I was like, maybe I'm just not working because I need to get into a class again. And down the street from my house, there was an acting school. So I was like, all right, I'll march down there. My car's messed up, so I'll just go down there and I'll take one of the classes. And I got there a little bit early because I was going to audit. And all the students were sitting around talking about how it was ridiculous that Jack Nicholson made $10 million for Batman and no actor deserves that amount of pay. Now, remember, these are actors looking forward to working. Right. They're sitting around arguing that Jack Nicholson doesn't deserve the, ma the money he made in the Joker. And I said, well, he's not making that money 
for the work he does in this. He's, it's the body of work that's bringing the audience. He's basically getting a piece of every seat because right. people, oh, my God, want to see him do this. And like, yeah, but the work isn't that hard. I'm like, it's not, it's not working at McDonald's. But I realized that these folks were arguing for their own limitation, that they were talking themselves out of their dream because they never expected to reach that point. So it was easier to say no one deserves it than to work towards deserving it themselves or respect someone who did. Right. And, uh, you know, and from that point on, I was like, all right, I will have no part of a conversation like that. And my focus will always be on what's the most value I can possibly bring, even if they never match it. Even if I'm never paid what I'm worth, I'm going to earn every dime twice. That's, you know, that's my kind of work ethic, my credo in those regards. And it's why I've had as much success as I have, and I have no fear about my career. And, you know, I've always wanted to play the old guy in the movie, so I don't care. If I, you know, <laughs> if I don't hit my heyday till I'm 85, I'm fine because I love the idea of being Hume Cronin or, or Burgess Meredith. I love them as character actors. I love that idea. So I've got a long time to get where I'm going. So I can be patient about it and care and listen and work and do good work. And when I see people try to rush it on other people's behalf, not their own work, not because right. they're in a hurry, but because they expect other people to hurry on their behalf. I, I mean, that's no different than Trump to me. That's how Trump behaves. That's how he thinks. You should already be on my side. I shouldn't have to convince you. And I, I just can't live that way. Um, it's, it isn't right. It's expecting too much of people. You, you don't dare. Well, I, I agree. That, that, that's, that I, and I like how you, you wrapped it up and you, and you brought it right back to Trump at the end. That was good. I like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I try. Yeah, but that, so, I mean, that's, he, he's a great example of fake bravado and ego. Right. You know, and, I, and, and no one is, is completely immune from, you know, liking the smell of their own brand. And so I, I really avoided in my own life, even though I, you know, I love uh, comedy ego. I, you know, I'm a big Steve Martin fan, and mm-hmm. I love Martin Short. So I'm, I, I love the idea, the jokes about I'm the greatest yeah. are, are joy to, to watch and experience. But anybody who really believes that in a kind of dismissive way of other people is just gross and not funny. So, you know, it, and it seems self-evident to me. Um, Have you, did you see the, um, the Only the Murders in the Building? Oh, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. Uh, I love it. It's got some wonderfully touching stuff in it, and I'm looking forward to the next season. And I hate that they release it on our schedule like every other day, but um, yeah. like a regular TV show. It's brutal. Yeah. Um, We're all spoiled but, these days because we, we, want, we, want, we? we want to binge. That's right. I want to buy the book and then, and then either read all the way through it or read it chapter by chapter based on what I got time for. Right. So, and, and by the way, that's how they're doing a lot of stories now. That's, and that's a good thing. That's an expansion of what's available, and it allows the, the viewer to absorb it at their own pace. You know? But if you want a subscription service and they're trying to hang you on the line for it, get ready for more of those, though. Get more, right. you know, like week by week. The Disney Plus does it. It's why Hulu had success with it. And you need to subscribe for at least two months to watch all of them. It's, it's, not, it's not stupid. And, by the way, 
that those are expensive productions. That stuff's hard to make. Takes time. Oh yeah. And a lot of working people, so it should cost money. Um, and it's like it's it's like uh you know I I was complaining about, like Robert Reich was complaining about Starbucks the other day and the CEO making twenty four million dollars is like the dude makes four million dollars on a on one of the biggest food companies in the world. He's just got stock options, so his pay went up 39% in one year because it went in the tank in 2020 and then it came up in 21 like everything else did, like year-over-year right. year inflation did. They just boosted that way. So it gave this illusion that they gave him a raise after COVID or something like that when that's not the case. And by the way, next year, it, you know, it took a dive from 2019, uh, right. from you know, 19 to 14 to 24 and even still, he only made his regular pay scale and kept the company afloat. And a lot of employees are betting on that guy's decision, not putting them out of a job, not having to sell off branches because they hired somebody stupid. So you want to hire somebody smart and you want the smartest guy, you're going to have to pay for that a little bit. And it's going to benefit all the other workers. Meanwhile, they're trying to get them 50. They're going to give them $15 um, uh, for all of them, for all their employees by 2023. And they're giving them health care and all kinds of stuff. It's a great thing. But Reich was jumping on this guy for making $24 million and getting a 39% pay raise when that's not at all what happened at all. Right. And our side, if we're going to make this argument, has to be better at that. Yeah. We have to be we better have, than we, I've often said that, too. We have to be better than – you know, we expect the other mm -hmm. side to, to, to play fast and loose with the truth. We have right. to be better than that, especially because when the other side plays fast loose the truth, fast and loose with the truth, everyone's just like, oh, that's just the Republicans being Republicans. But right. then, they you know, we off. say one thing that's off a little bit. It's like, oh, you're wrong. Don't trust anything they say that's ever. That's a dog pile. Well, yeah. and, and live life like, like you expect that, of course. So I, you know, um, to, you, you take care, right, uh, to not do that as much as you can. Um, and again, it's it's being myopic, it's being, you know, having blinders on and speaking only your own jargon and only those who are on the team know how to speak to you. Living like that is a recipe for never getting any of the stuff you want done. It's just the truth. And that's, uh, and, and if you can live with that, if you can live with, I'd rather talk about it than solve it then you might as well just convert to evangelical Christianity and, and become a, a pro-lifer who uh, wants the death penalty. Right. What's the difference? It's the same kind of hypocrisy. It's the same kind of myopic view. It's the same kind of, um, you know, blinders. So why, why is that? Why is that okay? And, it, and you know, in my feeling, it just frankly isn't. I, that's what I try to clean up on my side of things while still being funny and not really caring what people who I know are listening to me in bad faith are feeling and saying, because why would I, you know, why am I going to, you know, why would I let you interfere in the same way that like hecklers never bothered me? They don't really exist anymore. Anyways, um, right. not they ever, you know, really have done in the in the modern era, but like critics about stuff. Why would you let one person or 10 people interfere with your entertaining of hundreds? or thousands. It makes no sense. Why would you kick the joy out of, you know, all these other people to please five idiots who are live, who live joyless lives. And the same right. thing happens on the, in the activist class across the, the spectrum. Cause look at, look at the attacks going on, on the right wing. It's this, it, you know, it's a human problem. 
It's not a matter of both sides doing it. It's humans do this, and it's something we all have to work against. That's true. Well, we got about three minutes and fifty seconds left before with a hard break, a hard end on Block yeah, Talk Radio. So, um, final words, final plugs. Oh, my pleasure. You are welcome to come back anytime on the show. You, I, I had a great time. This is a great conversation, and I could, I, I could talk for three yeah, more hours. Yeah, had it. We could. Yeah. Totally. You know, yeah. Right. So anytime you want to come back well, on, you're say, more than welcome to. Thanks so much, Dan. I appreciate that. I'm, uh, um, I would say to everybody, you know, uh, if they want to tune in, I'm at infotainmentwars.com. They can subscribe on my YouTube channel. And then, of course, because I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. And my favorite sign-off um, I got from George Carlin, and I do it as kind of an honor to him at the end of my act, which is take care of yourself and take care of somebody else. He said that at the end of one of his specials, and to me, that's, that's how you roll. Take care of yourself and take care of somebody else. And, and right in front of you, there'll be somebody who needs you to be more charitable, more open than you think you can be. And that's when you expand and you realize you can take on a lot more, and your anxiety goes away, your worry, your pain, you know, you know and worry is just weaponized imagination turned inward, um, that you can – if you have this moment, if you have this ability uh, to expand in one moment with this person that normally drives you crazy and you can be, you're uncharitable with, you can find that charity moment. It expands in a circular fashion to every other aspect of your life. You get stronger in all aspects, and, I, and that's what everybody should push for. And right now I think there's a um, wanting people to feel okay with their weakness, which has a value at certain times, can become a, patho- it can become a pathology. And – and we can grovel in misery. And I, you know, I, I think that's part of the problem. Um, we have a responsibility to recognize our strengths and we have a responsibility to be optimistic. It's you must, out of, for the good of other people, find your optimistic trend and be able to stand on your own two feet so that you, no one else has to worry about taking care of you. They've got enough problems. I mean, how about else could we better end the show than that? So again, thank you Thanks. so much for coming on the show. Again, I have a link on, on on the show thread. I have a link on the show thread that you could link to the YouTube channel as well, and uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll link to all the other places as well as I can. Um, and you yeah. have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much for coming on. I do want to throw in my eight-year-old is very impressed that I had the elevator guy from Spider-Man Two on my show. So. So, sure. I mean, well, wait till he sees Lab Rats um, nice. on Disney, uh, and then you'll then you'll really be cool. Um, awesome. But uh, thanks so much, Dan. Appreciate it. You're welcome. You have a great rest of your day. Have a good one. Bye. All right. Bye. All right, and this is the end of this week's episode of Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. Tune in every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Central, blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. Here on YouTube, youtube.com slash liberaldanradio or youtube.liberaldan.com. Uh, support the show by becoming a Liberal Dan Radio Patreon. Go to patreon.liberaldan.com. Uh, stop the coup.liberaldan.com. And if you want to help fight the gerrymandering fight, and again, check out the uh, House Bark Mega Worldwide uh, on his YouTube channel and in the Infinite Awards as well. Until uh, next week, this is Dan Zimmerman with Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right.